0: And welcome to Big Gay Energy. I'm Brie. I'm Theora. And I'm Caitlin. Come along with us while we dive into the fun and nuances of queer media. Representation matters, and we're here to talk about it. Okay, guys, this is episode three of season one of Biddy's Life, which was written by Brian Studler and directed by Amanda Tapping. Big, big fan of her. Me too. Right? Lots of great things in this episode and some not so great things. But we're going to start with a biddy who's feeling her age. (laughs) She's looking at a photo of herself when she was young. And there's a really cool shot that's with reflection that shows her current self. And then all the biddies line up at the end of their bunks. And I'm like, wait, they have communal sleeping they give all their youth and like most of their life for Alder, and they don't get their own rooms.
1: They have the least amount of privacy of anybody on base. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, like zero privacy once you become a biddy. It's wild.
0: I would not. I mean, okay, fine. We learn some things about biddies later that kind of make that, but even more of a thing. But give me my own room if I'm gonna do that, right? So they're getting all lined up for their little alder inspection in the morning. And the biddy that we started with says that this is the best day of the year. And then another one says it's the second best day of the year. I don't know what she thinks is the best. Right. I, I was know- going to ask you. What's What's the- <laughs> is it Beltane? Because- that's what I was
1: thinking. Or is it like the day I became a
0: biddy? I can't tell. Yeah, I don't know. Is it the day the men show up? Ugh, it's not my, that's not my best day, so. It's <laughs> not my best day either, but the ladies, you know, go crazy later, so that's the only thing I can imagine. Me too.
1: This. I thought that line was really weird. And I'm like, why is this in here?
0: I feel like there was something cut out of the script that they didn't have time for <laughs> that would explain it further, but we, we don't get that, so. We'll
1: go with that. I like your theory. Yeah. Co-side.
0: exactly so alder shows up and she walks down her little line of biddies and they join her two by two except for the sad last one that's just on her own because there's seven of them and it's like i'm so sad for her she has to walk alone so they go outside hey, and before Ald- we go outside oh want <laughs> no it's not
1: bad i just wanted to comment on the Biddy's outfits because they're very very different than everybody else's uniform they're very covered up like the collars are very high they also have gloves on and they have this sash that that looks like a girl scout sash with all these like badges
0: it reminds me of the sash on the dress uniform in all of the other episodes that are more ceremonial or formal occasions so it's the same sash that everybody wears in the army i just think it's um they're always in like super ceremonial dress right which is interesting but they do have that long tunic and that's the one that gets me is that supposed to be matronly i, I, don't, know. I don't know oh
1: maybe because they're like elderly slash is that their, their... moo? yeah it's <laughs> <This is> the <laughs> army <laughs> moo. <moo-moo. laughs> right they're the only ones that dress like this so it's all the time which is just interesting about the biddies.
0: I, I really enjoy it. They've got that. Don't they have the high boots as well? Yes, like, they, that's what I mean. They're very like
1: all their clothing
0: is very like elongated. The boots, the the
1: sleeves, their gloves.
0: Yeah, I've noticed it's similar to Alder's ceremonial uniform, too. So yeah. I don't know. It's like that we're the we're the biddies and we're going to have special. that sounds like they're a musical group. Uh-huh. We're the (laughs) biddies. I'd listen to that. But anyway, yeah, the biddies uniforms. Very interesting. I'd love to know what's what was behind that choice. Me too. Anyway, we're gonna go outside, and all of the soldiers are lined up along the steps, and we get a shot from above of these two vehicles who that are approaching. So then we get the unit comes out. Tally's like nervous and adjusting her uniform she's like worried she looks weird and i'm like tally you always look great so stop and rail's having none of this shit as usual zero
1: bucks also i will say i love that tally gets all nervous and abigail's like calm the fuck down but then abigail starts arranging her uniform
0: i love that part (laughs) tally made her nervous she's like uh let me fix my collar yeah tally made her nervous i'm like girl you're showing a little bit i like that in abigail though she needs to show that every once in a while
1: this is the birth the the birth of thirsty tally this this moment
0: (laughs) yes it is of a lot of energy tally Mm -hmm. yes yeah Yeah. so (laughs) alder goes down the steps everybody's all standing at ease and then as soon as she passes rail's like fuck this shit i'm sitting down (laughs) and she chills (laughs) the bus pulls up and we see somebody for the first time and that's Witch Father.
1: Woo, maybe. I don't know. If you're into that.
0: If you're into Witch Father, woo for you. That was for you. I'm I'm Rail in the
1: scene.
0: <laughs> I'm kind of like, okay, uh Ra- I'm Rael too, so I'm just chilling, I'm watching telling. what's going on with interest. But uh Witch Father steps off the bus, he's happy to be home, and then he calls all the guys off and they parade out. And all the girls start screaming. And I'm really real at this point because I don't like, okay, cool. They're hyped up about these dudes. Yes. Tally's drooling. Abigail tells her to close her mouth. <laughs> she doesn't even hear that. She's in the zone, the man zone. Thirsty Tally. This is it. She is just thirsting for these boys. Uh, so the boys start going up the stairway and one guy stops and says hi to abigail and calls her bells and she calls him buttonwood which i mean that's a name
1: it sounds like a key <laughs> elf
0: it does i feel like he's a mushroom like he's like a wild I, mushroom i think
1: that is a mushroom actually is buttonwood. it okay. i think
0: it is oh my gosh maybe okay. that's why there i any mycologists that? out there let it hit us up
1: but i think that's right i mean i'll google it later but
0: uh, you don't so have time. he is- <laughs> He gives Tally a good long stare so you know something's going to happen there. Head mm-hmm. staring happens. Yep. Abigail immediately knows what's going on because she's Abigail. Mm-hmm. And she tells Tally that that's Garrett Buttonwood. And um, Rail finally asks to get off her ass when Alder and Anacostia come back up the stairs. And then it's her turn to kind of straighten out her uniform. So For
1: the women. I get it, Rail.
0: Yeah, we know the women are coming. So you, you have to... Uh, yeah, now Raelle's nervous. She's like, oh, Alder's coming. They're <laughs> straight in my uniform. Yeah. Oh, look who's coming. Anyway, that's that scene. Men tally thirsting. Raelle not giving a crap. And the bitties waking up together in their communal living. And the bitties ba- waking up together in their communal living space.
1: I just wanted to note one quick thing about the opening with the bitties. There's the lesbian Jesus light coming through the room. So I think this I- is- foreshadowing I didn't even
0: notice.
1: it's like life like a life oh, and death scene because like yeah. getting wakes up fondly looking at her past self and looks <gasps> like she's not doing complaint. so hot
0: mm-hmm. we yes. should have seen it coming
1: oh, hydrate yourselves hydrate so from that scene we stick with our thirsty tally who's in basics with the rest of the girls the lesbian jesus light is still here because rail's here Yeah. And they're in the middle of doing a seeing exercise where they have to essentially use work to magically see these colored flags that are scattered behind all these barrels. And so Anacostia is teaching them Seed 36, the Seed of Revealing, and notes that it should be below the range of human hearing because it cuts through a bunch of cadets like Glory who are trying to do it and it sounds like they're breathing and she scolds them. And what they're doing is they're doing this seed, subvocally, and then they have this scry in their hand, which is, like, this little handheld device. And basically, they use that to see the target. And then An- Anacostia tells them, once you have it in the scry, focus on it in your mind, because that's what's going to, like, reveal it to you. And so this is, like, a mini version of that big thing that was in the war room where they saw Clary's daughter get killed. And so throughout the scene, Tally is just nailing it. And she's, like, super excited just like, oh, I can see color because it's Thirsty Tally right now. And I just love all the shade that happens with the other cadets. Like, Libba is trying to do it. And she very confidently is like, blue! And Mama is like, no! <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. And then later, Rael is like huffing and puffing because she's terrible at this. And she tries to blame it on the scry being broken. And Mama is like, it's not broken, Rael. You just suck at this. <laughs> because Rael. It's not all charged up by the dudes so because she's lesbian jesus she's bad at this right now
0: i felt like everyone was holding a compact mirror and trying to like i don't know look into the future but (laughs) (laughs) i i really love that tally didn't even need the scry no she's just calling them out like and they're all right yeah, at the end she's like, Should I give someone else a try? And Abigail's like,
1: no, just end this misery. And Tally just calls them all out. And Mabakasti's like, Yep, you did it. Good job.
0: Yeah, and it's it's like, why don't ask that. We're competing with everyone else. Get us the points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're still trying to climb the unit ladder at this point. Listen, we know you're all hepped up because of the men, so use it. Yeah, and
1: basically Mabakasi confirms that. Tally's good at it spoiler because she's a seer this is her specialty and also because the dudes made her all thirsty and apparently that gives them extra like an extra magic boost so um,
0: tally- yeah yeah i was just gonna say knower.
1: yeah yeah nowhere yeah, exactly sorry not a seer a knower.
0: but bad. i i make that mistake all the time though i want to say seer because it feels so much more natural
1: it does tally's a knower so she knows everything and sees everything Yeah, so she's all magically boosted because of the dudes. And Mamakasi lets it drop that this has to do with something called Beltane. So we get that word for the very first time. And we will see Beltane in the next episode. But very briefly, what is Beltane? So Beltane is actually a real holiday or historical festival. So historically, this was a Gaelic May Day festival. And it was used to mark the beginning of summer. So it took place halfway between the spring and... equinox and the summer solstice and it kind of like fizzled out in like the 20th century but modern day groups including wiccans have revived it and now it's like this festival that's focused on like fertility which comes into play in the next episode so hence like the men charging up the women kind of thing so that's what this big festival is and that's why there's all this energy everywhere
0: it's really interesting how they use Beltane in, in this, but we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah. I just wanted so, to bring that up
1: because Mama says the word. Exactly. And that's kind of what they're alluding to here.
0: So then we go off base for the first time in the episode and we're at a swimming pool. And I remember the first time I saw this, I was, I was a <sighs> bit confused. Like what's about to happen. And then I remembered that every time we're off base, And it's a scene with, like, regular civilians. Bad things are going to happen. Yes. So, (laughs) we're at the swimming pool, and there's a bunch of people doing water aerobics and swimming around, and then we zero in on this lifeguard, and he looks kind of sinister, just looking out over everything, looking evil. And then he starts saying these words under his breath, and after a moment we see the pool water start to freeze and well, I guess I have to go back and say there's a, there's a man who's using a flotation device and he thinks that there's something wrong with it. And then once that pops, the water starts to freeze. So it's the spree again, because there's something that holds air. It pops the work is unleashed and then everybody starts freezing and it looks terrifying. And I want out of the scene because drowning is one of my biggest fears. <laughs> the woman that gets trapped under the freaking ice. Yes. Oh, it's terrifying. But what I do
1: love kind of like mercy kill, like you don't see them struggle under the ice for very long. So it's almost like they're there for like a hot second and like freeze and die. So it's like mm-hmm. less terrifying than being trapped and drowning. If that well, there was the
0: one instruct who was outside of the pool Yes, and she reached out to help somebody. And when she was touching them, that's when she froze. And I'm like, girl, no, I would be out. Y'all are on your own. I'm out of here. I'm not touching you. I'm not going to freeze. I know. Do you guys not hear <laughs> the spree
1: music playing? Get out of yeah, the pool.
0: The spray music started it's very loud. a while back. It's very loud. Yeah. The bumblebees are here. Get now, get you, you know, like,
1: aerobics where they play, like, music? Like, could you imagine, like, the spray music takes over and they're just like, oh, this is new. I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> if I heard the spring music, I would run, I would, like, fly out of that pool. <laughs> but, and then the guy that freezes while he's trying to grab the diving board. Oh, the diving board. board, yeah. Oh, God, that one got me too. I was yeah. like, that sucks so hard. You were so close. <sighs> but, yeah.
1: I know. Um, but one thing I have to say before we leave the scene. So, yeah. of course, when the guy leaves... Like Soa, he says, we're the spree. So Mm -hmm. I have to ask, why on earth do they keep saying this to no one? Because they keep saying we're the spree after everyone's dead. So, like, who is that for? Is it just for... tradition the agent that just did it they're like wear the spree and it's one person saying this to a room full of bodies thank is you is
0: there always a camera watching them i don't know are they on camera the all-seeing awesome, uh spree
1: eye there's like a balloon yeah. always hovering
0: i don't know I, I mean, they I keep know doing it i know it's for our benefit yeah, so, so, but like from their perspective
1: like who is that for
0: It just makes me giggle. It makes me
1: laugh. Like, you're you're
0: in a room full of bodies. We are the spree. Yes. All the dead bodies heard you. I think they're just all dramatic.
1: Part of being in the spree is being sassy and then dramatic. And not subtle. Not subtle and sexy. I don't know about
0: this guy, but... I don't know. He doesn't seem subtle. He's just, like, he looks evil when the scenes start yeah not subtle if I saw a lifeguard that looked like that I would not go in that pool I'd be like uh you're not gonna save me he's gonna jump in and drown me that's okay right. <laughs> like, you he's gonna hold me
1: under yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> that's, spree. that's their, the spree that's part of their interview they're like are you sassy mm-hmm. dramatic yes get out get on in here's your
0: balloon yes not subtle horrible spy great yeah you're welcome. a shitty spy <laughs> welcome <laughs> I love this interview process. I could totally get into the spree. Uh,
1: I, listen, we'll get to this much later, but I, I would 100%
0: be in the spree for reasons that have nothing to do with what the spree is doing. <laughs> Same, actually. But we do go back and see that... Uh, um. We do we go back to the the pra the, them like training Yeah, and they're point? all like emotional and feeling They're all emotional and like one girl is having a cry and Anacostia starts berating her. Uh and then afterwards she tells everybody to fall out and meet at the playing field in ten minutes. So then Anacostia starts looking like she's freaked out by this. And that freaks me out.
1: Right. So my question is like, do they f- Feel the loss of life like what exactly that's is happening question.
0: here like do they feel that on uh on a communal level as far as right
1: like because i understand like she mentioned something about because there's a lot of energy because of like the beltane stuff that's about to happen so is it just because their senses are heightened right now that they feel this big loss of life because tally says things like it's icy like almost like she feels what those people were feeling and they never really do that. Like, when the mall attack happened, they didn't really have that response. So I'm just kind of curious why
0: they're so emotional. Probably because there's some kind of base empathic ability that all witches have.
1: Yeah, I would imagine. And
0: so when it's when they're all heightened, except for Raelle, who's probably not feeling anything at all. She feels nothing.
1: She's like, She feels nothing. She's like, I heard sports. Let's get out of here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I heard lacrosse. Let's go. We will get to that. <laughs> but anyway... That's the end of that, and we're off to the practice field. Yes. So we transitioned from this very
1: dramatic morning scene to a lovey-dovey moment between Silla and Rayel. Body language sighting. Scylla has her hand in the pocket with the thumb out. Just mm-hmm. throwing that mm-hmm. out there. And Scylla is mentioning she's heading off to training, which means she's gonna hang out with Isadora off-screen. Yep. And she promises to come find Rail after because like, yeah, we get it, we're you're married. Mm-hmm. We'll go find Raya later. So Rael like it's like okay and like gives her a kiss on the cheek like a good gentle woman that she is because they're in a crowd full of people but Scylla's like no 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 and she leans in and plants one right on Rael because she's not messing around like who knows how long training is it could be hours which is like weeks in a queer relationship
0: she needs to top up
1: yeah she needs she needs her charge before she goes to see (laughs) Isadora and they do their experiments but what I love about this is Rael was like not expecting her to do this and so she does her little like chin cup thing because rail always insists on touching Scylla's face. Yeah. Always.
0: And I love that that was so natural because that was an improv moment from Amalia. Yeah, it was. So she's just like she goes in for it and then Taylor's like automatically in Rail mode. Yeah. I love it. So
1: like this is what Rail does. Rail touches your face. So let's do this. Yeah. So kudos on the two of them for mixing it up. Yeah. Mix- <laughs> Making this realistic. All right, and then the rest of the scene, basically Mama Costia comes in with this woman we've never met called Lieutenant Sergeant and Junior Matrimonialist Verissa Tanzi, which is a mouthful, so I had to share. And they know each other, and we'll get to that later, but they're here to kick off Beltane with a lacrosse match. So all the dudes come out with lacrosse sticks, and start. some take their shirts off, it's like skins versus shirts or whatever, and they start quote-unquote playing lacrosse, we'll get to that, and they're basically saying, okay, we're encouraging you to mix and mingle with all the dudes, basically. Because that's how we're going to fight this free by you guys getting all charged up. And so Abigail, of course, is like, Pfft, watch this. And so she takes her jacket off and runs out onto the cross field. And is like, yay, let's do stuff. And so she runs out and tries to drag Rail. And rail is me in the scene who's like, okay, this is a dude party. I might as well play sports and do something I like. So she runs out with them, too. And then a group of girls make it rain, literally.
0: Of course they do, because we have to have a wet t-shirt contest. Right,
1: because like, why not? Let's make it rain. And Tally and Garrett get into a little, like, flirting match where they knock each other on the ground. And then Tally has the cutest line. She's like, I think I
0: just got flirted with. Oh my God! You are <laughs> such a sweet summer child, Tally. <laughs> it's so cute. Rayle's like, oh, my girl's all grown up.
1: <laughs> it's adorable.
0: Oh, she's such. She's like such the the lesbian aunt to Tally. It's yeah, ridiculous. It's
1: very sweet. It, it just Callie is a cute little clusterfuck in this episode, but she's adorable. And after that cute Tally moment, then Porter shows up, who is like creepily watching Rayle. Yes, who is creepily watching Rayle when she was with Scylla earlier, and. He asks her where she learned to play lacrosse, and she says the session. And she asks him, where did you learn? And he said, nowhere you've ever heard of. You're better at this, meaning lacrosse, than you are at picking girlfriends. And then he shoulder checks her and knocks her on the ground, leaving her just really confused. And we're all confused. Like, what does this even mean? But I I have to talk about this because... Rael says she learned to play lacrosse in the session. And my question is, did you? Because I watched you throw that lacrosse ball, and I'm pretty sure you've never played this sport in your life. (laughs) So, disclaimer, I played lacrosse. And by that, I mean, like, I really played lacrosse. Like, I was a state champion in high school. I played nationally. I was nationally ranked at one point. Like, I legitimately played this sport. They don't know what they're doing in this sport. She's
0: wearing a lacrosse shirt right now, guys.
1: I'm wearing my high school state championship right now for this episode. Wonderful sport. And I love that they put it in here because it's historically accurate. So for those that don't know anything, lacrosse gets this really bad name as being this like preppy kind of sport, but it's really not. It was actually invented by the indigenous North Americans. And it was originally men's lacrosse, which obviously because, you know, patriarchy, men's lacrosse came first. And it was this, it was called like stickball. And so basically they have these like long wooden sticks that they would create and like a kind of ball thing. And it was a sport that was supposed to prepare men for like battle. So it fits in this military culture. So I love that they chose this as the sport because it's accurate. And fun fact, women's lacrosse came much later. It kind of started in England a little bit, but then it moved to Scotland where it picked up steam. And because of that, when I started playing, women would wear kilts, like the checkered kilts, because Women's lacrosse came from Scotland, which, fun fact. So I love that they put that in there because, thank you, Elliot, it is historically accurate that they would be playing this sport. But, okay, rail. We have to get to rail because when they when they first start, the guys are all like kind of clumped together, and I don't know what on earth they're doing, but that is not how you play lacrosse. And then rail goes to throw it. And so beginner mistake when you play lacrosse, so the way, the way it goes is you have one hand on top near the basket part where the ball is, and then the other hand on the distal end of the stick the way you throw a lacrosse ball is the top hand is used to aim and the bottom hand, you create like a fulcrum with the stick. And that's where the power is when you go to throw. So when Rail goes to throw the ball, she throws with her top hand, which is what beginners do who don't know how to play lacrosse. So good try, Taylor Hickson. It looked convincing, but Rail I don't know what they're doing in the session, but they don't know how to play lacrosse. So I just wanted to prove that.
0: And you would think that since the session is where the indigenous people have their, their home, You'd think she'd be the best. No, but and then Porter does like give her compliments that's about what I'm how saying. <laughs> it's like,
1: oh, you're good. You're good at this. But is she the way she just threw that ball? She's not good at this. Well, you
0: know, he just wanted to get a dig at her about Scylla.
1: right? So he's double dissing her. He's like, oh, you're better at this than you are at picking girlfriends. So she's really bad at both things. Exactly.
0: But uh, yeah, fun
1: fact about lacrosse.
0: I'm surprised he didn't go after how they kissed.
1: Yeah, but honestly, good try, Taylor. It, it looked pretty good, but
0: I can tell you don't play lacrosse. But the lacrosse expert knows.
1: Yeah, me and my friends who watch this who play lacrosse are like, what are they doing? So I had to comment. I'm sorry. That was this, that's
0: that's really cool. I love little tidbits like that. Yeah,
1: so. anytime we see the lacrosse sticks, we're like lacrosse sighting because you never see lacrosse. And
0: yeah, honestly,
1: don't. it is a it is the like true American sport. So I do love that Elliot put that in here because that's it's very accurate.
0: Yeah. I love knowing
1: that. Love it. So that's the lacrosse scene.
0: That's the lacrosse scene. Thanks for indulging me, everyone. I loved it. And I think everyone else will too. I hope so. But uh, unfortunately, we have to go to the Hague. (laughs) Unfortunately. As General Alder's arriving and uh, she makes a joke to everyone sitting at the table. So there are all these generals from other countries sitting at this really long table. And she makes a joke about how she hopes that uh, she's sorry she's late and she hopes that her delay wasn't due to any one of them causing bad weather. And I'm like, girl, all right, you throw it, you throwing it down right away saying, all right, who, who screwed me over? Right. But how <laughs> fucked up would it be if they're like, Oh, I see Alder coming send a story. Exactly. Oh my God. But I think general Sharma would do it. Yeah. I love her. First <laughs> of all, she's super would. She would. Um, then my other note on the scene is that our original Biddy that we started with in the episode looks so ill. I know, like she is barely hanging on. Where's a fixer? And it makes me sad. Where's a fixer, Where's a fixer when you fixer? need one? I don't think she can be fixed. though. Oh, good, good,
1: good point. Maybe you can't fix Biddies. That's interesting. I don't
0: think you can.
1: Maybe it's limited because one of them has like
0: a scar on her face, so maybe well, you can yeah, kind of heal them yeah. to a certain extent. That's a good point. Yeah, because they can't. You can't, I mean, we, I want to know how far f- a powerful fixer could go to save someone. Yeah. Another question for Elliot, because we're going to get to a scene later where I have questions about that. So. Yeah.
1: But with the biddies, it's interesting because I, I would imagine the tie to Alder limits what magic you can do
0: to them. Precisely. Because they're taking, they're not only taking on their own body's ailments, they have Alders as well. Exactly. Exactly. So. There you go. That's like double the that's like doubling your WTF to my body factor.
1: Yeah, for real. Wait, before we exit, I just have did you have any more on this? I just have two No, things.
0: no, no, go, go, go just
1: two things on the Hague scene before we leave. So we get our first mother tongue in this scene. Right, we do, we do, we do. Yes. So this is like the witch's language, and so that's why they're using it in the Hague, which is a group of all these witch army leaders. So this is our first mother tongue we ever get. Second thing about this is what is the Hague? So the Hague is an international tribunal of these, like, uh, basically of, like, the witch army leaders from around the globe. Right. And what they do is they're the ones that establish the standards of war. So they're, like, this governing body that says what magic is canon, so what you're allowed to use during war, and what's off-limits or off-canon. And they're also the body that will investigate war crimes. So that's what this governing body is. So just, that's the Hague.
0: Similar to the actual Hague in our world, in a way. I didn't Except realize we had forces. a real Hague, so thank yes, you. Yes, like, we what have is a real Hague! Yes, it's in the Netherlands. It's, uh, this of is based is. off of the actual war crime. This is where they they try anybody for war crimes, or they also have uh, they don't really have a, a police force per se, but all the countries participate. So it's, yeah, it's based off a real thing. Cool. Thank you. hmm So Scylla comes back looking for Rail. We knew she would. She said she would. She's got the U-Haul with her.
1: Yeah, it's been like three weeks queer queer lady time. She had to go find her in those two
0: hours. She's got to go find rail, But uh, unfortunately for her, she finds Porter instead or he finds her. She's looking around, and all of a sudden, there he is. And it's just like, oh, shit. Oh, God, he's here. Who, why are you here? So I have to give props to Amalia for getting across this scared AF look in her eyes. She looked like she was about to hyperventilate, and I'm, like, doing it with her. <laughs> so they uh, he confronts her, and he's, like, coming on super strong. He's 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 pissed at her. Mm-hmm. And he says that he got tired of she asked why he's there. And he's like, I got tired of running. And then Scylla tries to convince him that she did too. I'm like, girl, you're bad at this. The lying lie, you can lie to Rayel like it's like nobody's business, but you lying to Porter is apparently hard for you because I didn't believe you. So I have feelings about this entire scene. First, Porter, get off her dick. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I swear I'm not biased, except I am. But
1: no, we are. <laughs> we've we've said that before. We're we're very biased towards
0: Also, when she says, "I feel like it was my duty," listen. Yeah,
1: what was that about?
0: Not even I could believe you if you were trying to argue this angle to me with those beautiful blue eyes. You could have gone with something like, oh, they killed my parents. I didn't. I don't want to die like that. I was tired of running. There's no point. Take a page out of Raelle's book, maybe? Yeah. Like, we're all going to die anyway. Might as well be in the army where they're not chasing me. But no, she has to go with, it was my duty.
1: Yeah, that was not the right phrase. No
0: one believes that, Raelle. No. Especially Porter, who's known you for how long? We don't know, but you were... You know, in a relationship with him, so I assume he knows that you're not very fond of the army.
1: Well, he does. He says it later, and might have like hinted at it in this scene. That yeah, Silla basically was always this angry, passionate person against the army.
0: Yeah, like before like her that.
1: parents even died. Because he says in this scene, he's like he basically hints that like, well, I never got to tell you my condolences about your parents dying, indicating that like her parents died after she ditched border. So. Before her parents even died, Scylla was already, like, acting out against the army. So, like, in my mind, the spree didn't radicalize this girl. She was already on that path
0: before the parents died. Well, she was absolutely on the path. She was ripe for the spree at that point. Yeah. Because she had been taught all of these anti-army things throughout her life by uh, probably her parents, the, the other Dodgers, is there's probably an ideology there that goes along with the spree very well and um she was just perfect for them because she's also a very passionate person as we've seen
1: yes her belief system is very important to Scylla
0: but I love that she gets pissed back at him Mm -hmm. at one point in the conversation and and tells him that he has no idea who she is anymore yeah that made me happy yeah and that's that is the true thing that she said in that statement (laughs) And that he stopped her from leaving at one point. And I'm like, boy, get your ha- take your hands to yourself. Yeah, stop touching Scylla. Stop touching Scylla. Only Rael can do that. Yeah, lesbian Jesus. <laughs> lesbian Jesus has rights. You right. don't. So anyway, she eventually gets away from him. And uh, I kind of love pissed Scylla. Yes, angry
1: Scylla is something so that I love angry Scylla. So unfortunately, we go from that dude scene to Abigail and her dudes, which... Oh boy. Oh, boy. So, I love the name of what they're doing. So, they're all, like, in... They're all in this little, like, hangout section with, like... It's, like, brunch or something, but it's called the Mead and Greet, which I love. Mead and Greet. It's so great. Such a dad joke, and I'm
0: here for it. I know.
1: That's what Junior Matrimonialist called it, and I love it. Tansy. Yes. So, the first dude that shows up is Clive. And... Note about him: He comes when he comes in. He's got his like his witch medallion, like their witch dog tag. So the guys get one too, and it looks different than the women's, which is pretty cool. So I love that. And his p- pickup line to Abigail is, "This spell slake your thirst with some mead." So nice try, Clyde. And Abigail is already like, hmm, "Okay, but um, hi, Clive. Can you go get that dude over there that's flirting with Liba?" And this is Augustine, because Abigail is like, if I can't have Libba, no one can. Go get her. Go get the boy. Exactly. Go <laughs> it, get the boy. It's the Cav- cavalier grudge all over again. So Clive goes to get Augustine. And Tally, meanwhile, is drooling over Garrett, who's across the field with somebody else. And the unit's like, can you just go talk to him? We can't, we're watching you do this is, is painful. We're done with us. you right now, Tally. Yeah, we're, we're done painful. with you. Go talk to the dude. And Allie, Tally Tally has so many good lines in this episode. But Tally says really Tally says and say what? Hi, I'm Tally, complete virgin and hot for any part of you that's available.
0: The delivery too. I know. Oh my god, the delivery. It's so good, <laughs>
1: uh, Jess Sutton. I want to give you a mini Emmy just for this episode. You're so good. Yes, please. And Rail takes this line. And she's like, um, just go say hi. Like I'm lesbian Jesus. Trust me. Just say hi. Yeah, Don't say anything. of You could
0: just say hi. Just say
1: hi. <laughs> And witch Father shows up and he's like, yep, I agree with Lesby Jesus. Just go say hi to the dude. And Abigail just shamelessly starts flirting with witch Father, which I love. And then witch Father calls her out for being like her mother. And now I know way too much about Mama Bellwether's sexcapades. And Abigail basically says, shame is for civilians. Love her big witch energy.
0: I just wish that he hadn't come up because I'm I'm actually slightly disturbed by her flirting with Which Father. Yep, I'm not sure is. what it is, but me too. First of all, Which Father strikes? I'm going to I'm just going to say this. I got total gay vibes from Which Father. Number 1. I know mm-hmm. I know people that agree with me on that, but I'm not saying he's gay. I'm just saying he gave me gay vibes. Yep. But um, I'd also like to address the line that Clive walks up with. It's the most Clive thing for any Cl- anyone named Clive to say. So <laughs> if he was going to say that line, he had to be named Clive. Love it. Fair point. Gosh, such a like, oh, my God, like Victorian gentleman, but with a modern twist thing to say
1: yeah it's so good he's in mead mode like this is the mead and greet. it's very medieval
0: but back to witch father i want a refund after seeing abigail flirt with him like that yeah I, that
1: hurt but again abigail is just shameless and i love it
0: yeah no i love that she's shameless and she's just free with her sexual energy yeah exactly like, go get it girl yeah get There's it just witch father in particular that freaks me out i don't i don't want to see it if you're gonna do it do it off screen yeah like you guys go hang out elsewhere but he does he does gently rebuff her so yeah he's like
1: i did stuff with your mom we're not doing this, this yeah i don't
0: want to know about that either right? petra needs to stay in the realm of no sex surrounding her for me i mean she can get it she can get on- it just not in front of me but not in this scene <laughs> this is an
1: abigail scene let's not do that
0: Okay, and now I really want to go to the Hague part two. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done with with that whole thought process. Yes. So we go back and everybody's arguing over how to deal with the spree. And I like that instead of stomping, everyone bangs their hands on the table when they have an agreement. Ooh, I didn't notice that. Good touch. Yeah. So when they like something, they bang their hands on the table. So it's like a, a version of the stomping. And I want to know, is that like... The more polite version or the more, the, we're not the kids. So we're going to use our hands. Yeah. Like the formal setting. We tap tables. I guess. I guess. Whatever. It was kind of cool. And then uh general Sharma calls Alder out hardcore and is like, maybe it's time for some new leadership. And Alder's jawline turns into a knife. Angry face Alder.
1: So cut in. It's so good. Angry
0: face Alder can cut you with that jawline Sharma. Mm Mm-hmm. That was, that's, oof.
1: But it, it, from Sharma's point of view, I think it's interesting they put this in here because it goes to, because remember, Sarah Alder's been in power for like 300 years. So it's kind of showing that some people are not super cool with her still being in power, like even like big witch leaders.
0: You can tell how much influence she has had over the years. Like they don't really do any I mean they do stuff in their own countries but when they convene you can tell that she's been calling the shots for centuries. Right. And I think they're just chafing a little bit at that bit and especially Sharma but yes. the others as well you can kind of see it. I mean the the one the one woman with the English accent I think is kind of in her corner mm-hmm. to a degree because She wants action, like, right now because she's had soldiers that uh, have died horribly of a plague bomb, so...
1: Yeah, again, it's like we mentioned in the last episode with Clary, like, where they're like, let's be extreme. The spree is being extreme. It's going up the ladder with all these, like, leaders. We're like, let's be more extreme. The spree just wiped out my people kind of thing. So there's tension
0: rising. I have to say, I love Sharma, but for some reason, the Russian guy... I love him, too. I'm not sure why.
1: They're all very fascinating.
0: They are all fascinating. They all don't get a lot of lines, but... No,
1: they're all great. I just have one last thing on this scene. Mm -hmm. So just something from the After the Storm that Elliot mentions about the Hague, the other witches in the other parts of the world. So in the United States, we see a lot of vocal work with the witches, but he mentioned that other countries have other kinds of like main mechanisms for their work. And so India, to go off of General Sharma... A lot of their magic is based on gesturing, not so much vocal work. So I do believe she could have been under the table, like, gesturing for that storm that knocked off all when she came in. Oh, shit! Because
0: <laughs> she would. Oh, Sharma. I love her. She's under there throwing some, sign, like, yeah, throwing throwing some her signs out, getting some weather going. Yeah. yeah. And I thought I'm, that was clever like
1: that. with his, like, cultural differences, even are embedded Very in clever. work. Yeah. Very clever.
0: I want to know what, what all the different countries... Work is through.
1: Same, Elliot. Please explain.
0: We we have a lot of questions. Can we just read your journals, please? I know. I I swear we won't share the information. No, I just suffer with each other. Yes.
1: Come on the um. podcast. All right, <laughs> come on the podcast. <laughs> come on the podcast. Uh, so from the Hague, we go back to the meet and greet where there's drama going on. So Clive gets Augustine for Abigail. And Augustine mentions that Libba had a message for Abigail, but it was really graphic. And I wonder, what could that have been about?
0: Like, enemies to lovers
1: graphic, maybe? Perhaps? I don't know. So, he never explains. One more
0: of i am going to I'm-gonna-cut-you-bitch graphic.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Sure. Sure, Libba. And then Abigail and her two dudes literally fuck off and leave. And Rael then goes to co- confront Porter about Sila. So and in summary, he just apologizes for being a jerk. He's like, you know, I-, I directed that at the wrong person, a.k.a. Scylla, not you. And he basically, through this conversation, lets it drop that he has a history with Scylla and confirms all this to Raelle. He knows about her childhood and her parents. And Raelle is just getting very visibly upset through this because this is the thing that Raelle's in the dark about when it comes to Scylla. And she's asked Scylla about this stuff and Scylla has told her nothing. So Rael is feeling on the outs about this. And at the end, Porter kind of picks up on the fact that Rail is upset and is getting attached to Scylla, and he basically warns her not to get attached. Confusing Rail again, about Scylla, which is, like, the theme of, like, this episode.
0: Yeah, I have a couple of things. First of all, Rail says what the shit was that at the game earlier, and I'm really here for Rail cursing. Uh-huh. Lesbian Jesus cursing is, like, my my new thing. Well, I mean... I like it every time I've seen this episode, but I'm really lashed on to it now for some reason. And uh, the way that Porter holds out his hand to introduce himself and she's not having it, like, nah, you were, yeah, you're apologizing for being a dick, but we're not going to shake hands. No. And uh, just the absolute confusion and sadness in rail when there's a person standing in front of her that knows so much more about Scylla than she does, but she's not going to ask him. She wants it to come from Scylla, and Scylla's not giving her any information, so. Yep.
1: And Rail has repeatedly asked, so this is a sore spot with Rail.
0: It's really, cru- it's like, it crushes. It's so so sad. Mm-hmm. But, unfortunately, we have to go back to the Hague again. Except for not unfortunately, because, uh, I, okay, I've named the Russian guy since we don't get his name. Yes, what'd you name him? Comrade Boris. Yes, I was gonna say Boris. <laughs> I don't know what it is, he just looks like a Boris to me. So I'm calling him that. Don't come for me. You've heard it here first, folks. <laughs> it's, I know it's stereotypical, but I can't help it. Comrade Boris. Comrade Boris. So he pulls out the egg of destiny. Again, that's <laughs> what I'm calling that. Don't come yes. for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a Faberge egg it is. because he's Russian. Right. I <laughs> so, and it's my first question is why did they get Faberge eggs and we get boxes, wooden I know. boxes? We're so behind on having ornate seed holders. Listen,
1: Isadora doesn't care what's carrying the seed. She's like, look, a box is fine. I'm focusing
0: on my experiments. Just put it in the box. It's fine. Isadora, there's another necro that could take over designing the seed carriers. She does not Come care. Come on. Anyway, I'm jealous of Boris and his Fabergé egg of destiny. So this egg, he takes off the top and it contains a seed sound that makes everybody get weepy almost.
1: Wait, can I just say, if you watch with the subtitles, it reads eerie vocal music when he opens it.
0: Oh my God, it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> it does. It does so eerie whatever um yes but it is a really beautiful i love the seed sound that comes out of there but alder seems like she's like halfway between having a spiritual epiphany and an orgasm or something (laughs) (laughs) i'm like girl (laughs) calm down you haven't even seen witch father yet uh (laughs) recently (laughs) But apparently, she feels it in her blood, and that's what made me go, damn, girl, not at the table in front of everybody.
1: I hate that you said that.
0: but You're welcome. Because Elliot talks about this in After the Storm,
1: and- it's because this reminds her of her mother's songs, like, because remember, she, she didn't really hear a lot of magic until whatever, the Sale of Accords stuff all started happening. So this is a connection to her past, and it's like bringing all that back for her. So it's very powerful for Alder.
0: My theory still stands.
1: Your theory is amazing, but that's,
0: <laughs> that's according to Elliot. Disturbing it's connected to her mother, but in her past. Well, it's like the, the
1: Alders, I guess. Not so much her mother, but like her family
0: line in all seriousness i know that it's something that's calling to her on a like a spiritual level as far as this is her family's past and this is these are songs that have not been heard in a very long time yes seed songs that could potentially change the world in the way that they're doing warfare right. again
1: yeah
0: uh so not only is it calling to her on on that level everyone's going to pick up on this being something that they could use. And they already have because Boris reveals that there's a nomadic tribe of witches on the, on the border of Russia and China that kind of just want to live in peace, but everybody wants their seed songs in exchange for asylum. And there's this pissing contest between Sharma and the comrade over China being a bully because he's like, we'd be perfectly happy to let them live in peace. Uh, mm-hmm. But China's being a dick. And I'm like, sure, Russia. Because you're always honest about things.
1: Right. And as Sharma points out, they're like, <laughs> interesting. China's not here right now.
0: Yeah. like, China's not here to defend themselves. So. And he's like, yeah, I'm fortunate. <laughs> but I'm Boris the Honest. How could you think I'm lying? Look at my egg. Look at
1: this
0: egg. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to my egg yeah. sounds. <laughs> oh, God. a whole new layer of what the hell for you. I love this. This is the best. Yeah. So that's Sharma and uh, Boris are not super friends. So they're not BFFs. No. I don't know if Sharma has a BFF to be honest. She can have me. I love her. We'll be friends. So uh, Theorin and and Sharma are gonna share recipes later. We will. Oh my god. That'd be so great. Yes. Sharma, hit me up. (laughs) But uh, yeah. I really am still bitter about the Fabergé eggs. Not the point of the scene, but I'm still bitter about it. Yeah. Damn it, Isadora.
1: Yeah. She doesn't care. Again, it's like, I'm more about the experiment than what the box looks
0: like. Wow, that is that is a metaphor for something, but I'm not sure what.
1: Again, Isadora is the scientist. She cares about the science, not the fanciness. Uh, I do want to say just a couple things about the scene. I love that when the Fabergé egg is playing the song, Obviously, Alder is the most affected by the song, but everybody in the room looks kind of affected by it, which I found very interesting. So I couldn't tell if they're just like, because I don't know who the English woman is, but she's basically like, I've never heard that before. So I don't know if they're trying to figure out what the song is or if it's affecting them too on like a molecular level, the way it's affecting Alder. I couldn't really
0: tell. I think it's probably something that's universal for witches. It's going to affect all of them on some level. That's what I thought. Okay. In that way. Yeah. Like that's that's my read of of everyone being affected by it. I like that. It could be like I wanna know if this is something that's from Alder's line. Mm-hmm. What are her ties to yes. these these nomadic witches?
1: Yes. And that transitions very nicely into the Ter the Tarim? Is it? Tarim. Oh, tarim. The Tarim. So that's the name of these witches, and this will come up over and over and over again for like ever. And basically what they are is they're a sect of witches that come from a contested part of the world. So I think this is social commentary on Palestine and Israel. Mm -hmm. And so like you mentioned, they're pacifists who just want to like keep their seeds in peace and stay out of the wars. And yeah, so that's why I think it's partially why this song is so powerful. Cause these are like ancient songs. No one's ever heard of just suddenly emerging. And so they're just these very powerful seeds that like you said, I think too, my read was this affects all witches. So it, harkens to like the power of what the Tareem has and why like everyone's like let's go get them quote unquote and by get Mm -hmm. them I mean steal their shit
0: yeah I love the metaphor though of the Tareem in general just the idea of it
1: yeah 100% all right so from The Hague we exit and go to flirting fest between Tally and Garrett Mm -hmm. I'm out And it's really cute and romantic. They're by this lake, and Garrett obviously, like, asked about Tally, and she's like, you know my name, and you know that I'm from NorCal, and they basically just, like, flirt. And Tally, when she's by herself and not panicking, is actually good at flirting. She did a good job. with Garrett. So, proud of you, little thirsty Tally. And so, while they were doing that, uh, Mama Costia and Junior Matrimonialist are- this is one of my favorite scenes- they are reminiscing about Mama Costia's first Beltane, which- I love that Mama Costia cannot remember her dude's name. She's like, I don't, she's like throwing out generic man names and the matrimonialist is like Channing Grafton. And she's like, oh yeah, that's the guy's name. So I love your misandry here, Mama Costia. She's like, I don't remember that dude's name. But I needed to bring up his name because, spoiler alert, he shows up in season two and we will point him out when he shows up. Yes. But we do get to see Mama Costia's Beltane man eventually.
0: And the guy that she ripped the pants off of I was the just going to say,
1: she ripped his pants off from the back. So
0: get it, Mama Kastia. All right. And apparently Tansy was watching the whole thing because she recalls it in like crystal clear detail. And I'm like, are you a voyeur, Tansy? Like, what's going on? She's like, I am a matrimonialist. This is my job to know these things. Props to your memory and your matrimonialist uh, dedication. Yeah. I need to go back and talk about Garrett for a second because- Go for it. I wanted to like this whole thing with tally and garrett and and them flirting and being sweet, like I love Tally's part of this, but for some reason, Garrett annoys the crap out of me. It has to be like a his voice and b, I know he's trying to pull some smooth moves from the book. We'll
1: get to that in the next episode from yeah. the book
0: of everything you're supposed to do to get a girl.
1: It's wooing witches one o one is what I call it
0: <laughs> wooing witches, but it it's he's doing it in such a uh i don't know i just feel like he's it's
1: impersonal in a way the way he's doing it
0: yeah and he's pretending like it's not and i'm i'm on the tally protection squad so i want to punch him in the in the face a little bit but i also
1: wonder if it's not that he's being impersonal it's that he doesn't know what to do so he's just like this is what the book said because like i feel like neither of them know how to flirt and he's just like reciting the book and she's just like on her own flailing and trying to figure it out naturally. So that's kind of what's She's happening.
0: She's clueless AF too and I get yeah. that. I'm just I'm just being a, am just being real. <laughs> well
1: Rael wants none of this head nonsense that's happening so I'm with her on that.
0: Yeah. She's got other things to worry about like why her lady won't tell her stuff. Uh, yeah. Fair. But we have to go back to The Hague <laughs> and I really got tired of typing The Hague. I am so sorry. <laughs> We got all the Hague stuff this time. But, uh, yeah. Everybody wants to go and get the Tareem tribe out of their situation, but Alder's like, no way, Jose. That'll set off a war with Russia and China. We can't have that. And honestly, all the stress and anger that's going around the table makes the Biddy collapse. Yeah. It's so sad. 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 Biddy down. Biddy down. But, uh, Apparently, this is felt systematically or systemically, I should say, because back at Fort Salem and Acosta and Tansy are smiling and reminiscing and picking apples uh, and the apple turns rotten and so does all the plant life around them, which, wow, the CGI budget in that in, the, in that scene.
1: It's not just all the plants. The first thing that shrivels and dies, I find very interesting, is the fruit. From the tree. And the, mm-hmm. and the fruit is like the female reproductive part of the plant. So I right. find that very interesting that that's first, then it spreads. Because like, witches, is women. So I love that detail.
0: Can I have that happen? You want your... I don't want it. I don't want my uterus. Can I get rid of it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You have to murder a bitty and then... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm on it. Oh. I could never. I could never. I could never. Um, But yeah, that is super interesting. I guess I was just too into the CGI budget for this scene that I okay. didn't notice the fruit thing, but is I was like, this is bananas. And, you know, they say something's wrong with Alders because she's linked to Fort Salem in that way. So I guess they need to find a new Biddy ASAP.
1: Yeah. And when the Biddy collapses, you start to see, the effects on Alder, like, immediately, like, her mm-hmm. hand starts to look more wrinkled, and you start seeing, like, the passage of time on her face, where, like, it's more wrinkled, sun damaged. The age spots. Yeah. So, it's pretty immediate that this effect hits Alder when something happens to one of the biddies.
0: I want to know how many years each biddy takes.
1: Elliot does mention that they take on a certain amount of years off of Alder and a certain amount of her burdens, but he didn't really, like, specify how, like, the amount.
0: I just want to know if anybody gets the short st- end of that stick. Like one Biddy has a hundred and fifty years, and you're like, "How are you alive
1: right so after after that starts happening, we transition to Memorial Hall, which is apparently is a place on Fort Salem. It's like their museum of the Army, I guess, and it's Terry Garrett and Rael, and they're going through all the artwork in one of the halls and looking particularly at a battle of Sarah Alder. And to me, this looks like a much more recent battle because she she's surrounded by biddies in the painting. So that would indicate mm-hmm. more time has passed versus like the crossing of the Delaware in the opening sequence. Right. And they get on this conversation about the biddies where Tally calls them like heroines and they should be revered. And Raelle's like, this shit's creepy. And what Elliot's trying to get at here is that basically there's a division in how people think about the biddies. And some people, like Sarah Alder, think of it this as this, like, big sacrifice that they're making, and it should be hero-worshipped, and it's incredible what they're doing, while us, other people find it much more controversial, like Rail. And rail has the line where she essentially says, I have never been big on revering things, which is a whole-ass lie, because let us recall her mama hero-worship wall with all the postcards and the way she touches Scylla's face every time Scylla looks at her, so
0: Raelle reveres things. So, okay, Rayo. She reveres personal things. She doesn't revere uh Biddies. But like okay, She doesn't Raelle. revere uh the establishment right. or people in power.
1: Right. So I've never been big on revering things. That's a whole last lie. She does. Yes. In this scene, too, I do love one line that Garrett has, positive thing about Garrett. So when they're talking about the Biddies, he's on the same train as Tally where he's like, yeah, they're a big deal. And he says Tally's like, I don't know that I could be that strong. And Garrett's like, sure you can. Everyone knows women are stronger than men. So I love that line because it shows how the male witches view the female witches, which is the gender swap you brought up a couple episodes ago. And so I love that he just says that. And I feel like that's a very natural line from Garrett where he's like, yeah, the women are stronger than men. And Tally's like, damn right.
0: Yeah. And Tally's just like, right, agree. I mean, obviously. I
1: mean, obviously. But I love that he says that organically, and mm-hmm. like again, it's that's how the male witches view their co-
0: female counterparts. So I love that detail. And I just like—I would just like to point out that I, I love the actor that plays Garrett. So I'm not dissing on him; he's super cool. Yeah. But it's the character that gets to me sometimes. But I like that's positive, Garrett notes. Yeah, and I love that you pointed that out because the way that the line was delivered was so natural. Yeah. That it was just really great. And yeah. that was that was the point at which I was, like, okay with Garrett.
1: Yeah, it's very sincere, so I do love that. He has some more positive uh, drinking his respect female juice later. So I love that. And after we kind of transition out of that scene, it's intercut with going back to the Biddy and Alder. And Alder is with the, the fallen Biddy and just, like, clutching her face while the other Biddies are, like, mourning. So you get the sense that, again, for Alder these women mean more to her than just like a mechanism to keep her alive. Like you get the sense that she really cares about these biddies um, and reveres them herself in a way. And as this is happening, somebody basically says uh, Mama Costia found the next biddy. And that's basically that scene.
0: I want to point out that the biddies are now in red uniforms. Oh, are they? I missed that. They're in red (laughs) uniform, like a a deep maroon type uniform. So is this like a morning thing? Is this a morning color for biddies? I mean, well, okay, is it because
1: they are at the Hague still, so they're not at Fort Salem yet? So, like, did they bring a morning outfit in case? They I guess. It? Or what, well, were, they, were they wearing this while they were at the Hague?
0: No. I'm pretty sure they were wearing gray at the Hague. Interesting. They're wearing the red uniforms later in the episode too. <sighs>
1: Yeah, maybe that's just, like, something they have to carry with them in case one of the biddies fall. That's fascinating. Exactly. I didn't see that. Interesting. And, and
0: I thought that was really cool. It was just like, all right, we're in red now. Cool. Um, is this the morning colors? Yeah, maybe biddies are just, like, always in formal wear, and then their other wear is just mm-hmm. morning wear. Yeah,
1: could fascinating. be. Fascinating. Love it. Thank you for pointing that up. Mm-hmm,
0: Love it. Mm-hmm. And the far speech. So we have another example of far speech in that. that, And we can see, once again, that they can use far speech over very great distances. So that's kind of cool. Very cool. And we go back to Memorial Hall, where Garrett's taking Tally's hand and she's getting a little nervous. And it would be super cute if he wasn't laying it on so thick. I'm suspicious. Um, (laughs) But that's just me so Tally's wondering where abigail is because she's getting all nervous and abigail's off having lots of sex and i say go get it girl okay can i just say control can i just say one (laughs) thing about abigail's sex campaigns
1: yes i love her big witch energy in the scene because she's just like commanding both of these dudes and like she's like augustine go guard the door and he's like really guard the door she's like fine you can watch and starts going after
0: Clyde. so i love that about her her and clive tries to undo his belt or his pants and everything. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's my job. You that's just my job. look pretty and just look pretty, stand up against this fireplace. I love it. That's how this is going to go. <laughs> Big wish She energy. is very in control.
1: Yes, love it.
0: <laughs> so we have Tally Garrett and Raelle. Uh, they go up to this podium that's in front of this really old, torn up U.S. battle flag. And Tally puts her medal on the podium. And her entire matriline line shows up as embroidery patches of, like, cameo faces with their name, like, their first initial and their last name under it. And Rael wants to know how the hell she knew how to do that. And she's like, I read it in Reveille. And Rael's like, the army man! Okay, Tally. So obviously nobody reads it except for Tally. Tally. I'm not shocked. Well, Come on, right? Okay,
1: like, Tally clearly has been, like, hero-worshipping the army her whole life, and the army was, like, taboo in her house, so I have to imagine that, like, little Tally was, like, in a pillow fort. Sneaking
0: Revely? Yeah, in a pillow fort at night with a flashlight reading Reverie, <laughs> like, daydreaming about the army yes like she had a secret subscription to revelry yeah under like glory's name like she'd have to go to
1: glory's house to
0: get the magazine exactly and so she she would like read it when her mom was around but it'd have to be inside of a book yeah totally yeah she's got like the dictionary or something she's yeah, exactly under
1: a sheet at night with a flashlight
0: or how to make great pottery yeah, right <laughs> which is to kombucha and It's the art magazine yeah exactly i love it i love it so it's really cool that you see her entire matriline line and also sad at the same time, because as Garrett points out, she's the last one. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting because we're going to see rails in a minute and you can see all of the children or all of in, in one generation in Tally's matcher line. So there's like, you know, four five in each generation, almost yeah. some generations with not as many, but, then there Garrett's still laying it on. So there she's getting like, Oh, okay. I'm going to pay attention to you now. And rails just, she's done. She walks up to the flag. She's trying not to pay attention to them. She's fascinated. I think she's really thinking about family and what it means to know the history of your family and how Scylla has not given her an, any insight into her family past and her own past. So, I like think she's just thinking about a lot of things right right at that moment. And Tally wants to get the heck out of there so she can go make out with Garrett. Is what's I'm thinking. Uh-huh. So, she's like, hey, um, do you want to uh, go? And rail's like, no, you guys go. I'll catch up. So, then Raelle puts her own medal on the podium and her matcher line shows up which is pretty much like almost a straight line down
1: yes her pedigree is very vertical whereas like you mentioned tallies is very horizontal and branched it's very fascinating she's
0: got trees and rail's got a stick
1: yeah the only deviation that isn't a collar woman having one daughter is rail's grandmother yeah that is the only one there's six collars that's it on that tree on that flag
0: so technically technically Rayle has an aunt had or has an aunt and we don't know if she's alive
1: right so that means that Rayle could be the last collar yeah so like again rails in the same boat as callie where potentially she is the last surviving person of her matriline. so yeah
0: that's kind of sad and that'll also make you think
1: lots of things yes like,
0: who is V Collar and where the hell is she? Yes. Question who is V is I'm going to put out a missing poster. Yeah. yeah. Elliot? Elliot. Please call this number. Yeah. 555. Five, five, five. Where's V Collar? <laughs> <laughs> but then we get a really, really, really cute, sweet scene after that. Because who comes up and puts their arms around Raelle? Who? It's Scylla.
1: It's almost like Raelle summoned her. I don't know.
0: I know it is. Like I heard, like you can hear Scylla's footsteps as she walks up, but apparently Raelle's like off in V-caller land. She's because... in
1: V-caller
0: land. She's like, who is Collar? Who is Collar? Why have I never met her? Right.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine?
0: Yeah, exactly. So Scylla comes up and, and asks Raelle if she missed her. And I think that she says, yeah, always or whatever. We all did. The audience missed you too. <laughs> we all missed you. But Rayle's a little torn about it because she needs to know some things. And Raelle asks if Scylla's family is on is on the flag and mm-hmm. she says the wrong thing. Scylla's response is the wrong thing to say because rail's heard it before and she's tired of this phrase. It's complicated.
1: Okay, but what do you think Scylla means by that? Do you think she's just again, giving her a nothing answer? Or do you think her family is complicated and it doesn't really show up on that?
0: I honestly think she's telling the truth in this instance because there's no reason for her to lie. Right,
1: exactly. I think it's complicated for her. I
0: mean, she wouldn't even have to actually put her medal on there. All she'd have to say is, yeah, they're on there, but let's go do whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I do think Scylla's family is so complicated that her, her matriline is probably all wacky in some way which I have theories about. Let's can't talk about it here. Uh, Come to the discord, come to the discord and we'll talk about it.
1: Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if there's like, because of the dodging, like things were just lost in the records too. And that potentially makes it complicated.
0: Yeah, exactly. Cause we know that there are, there could be natural lines that aren't traced as well as others.
1: Right. How, how would you trace her line if they're like not serving? So like potentially. Yeah. So I think she's telling the truth.
0: So we don't know at what point. And honestly, if you want to really get out there with it, we don't know that Scylla's parents were her real parents.
1: Yeah. We, we, we know nothing about her background, Elliot.
0: We know nothing about her background. So this could be, this could go about 75 ways from nowhere.
1: So I think complicated was the right phrase because
0: we know nothing. It was the right phrase to describe it, but it wasn't the right thing to say to Raelle. Correct. That is correct. Because she's done with it and she practically rolls her eyes and it's like, she's like got another stab of pain and sad lesbian Jesus comes out. And uh, Scylla is trying to redirect. So she says, there's more to this place than this family bullshit. And Amalia, your accent showing, I love it. I know
1: it's so cute. And she
0: says, bullshit. It's so cute. cute. I just love it. So she gets she does get Rael to smile again, and they go off, and Rael's family line slowly disappears. Such a lovely scene, even though it even though there's like sad parts to it, I love the sadness
1: yeah it's it's heartbreaking because again, this is like the reality of the war stuff and the force mm-hmm. conscription like you can see like tally had this humongous family, and they're all dead except her mm-hmm. and Rael, even though her family like is very vertical and there's not that many of them. She's potentially the last one too. It's just no matter how many witches there were at one point, they're we're at the point where they're just you're left with single digits with some of these families. It's very sad.
0: Well that's the thing is like Tally's mom is still alive, but she can't have kids. So technically Rail's aunt could still be alive. And yeah, then...
1: right. We don't know exactly how old or young V collar is. So
0: Searching for V collar. Searching
1: for V collar. So with that family lesson, we move on over to
0: the the Big Witch Energy Contest for today.
1: The Swites versus the Bellwethers, the history edition.
0: (laughs) I feel like this is Jeopardy or something.
1: (laughs) I mean, this is something that comes up constantly, the stuff that they talk about in this particular history lesson. But I want to note that, that it starts with Abigail half-dressed dress, half with her dudes stumbling into the room.
0: <laughs> I love it. Be more obvious.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, like, come on. And Liva and her, Liva is in a crowd full of, like, male and female cadets in front of this ancient painting depicting the Battle of Juarez during the Second Mexican War. And she's talking about how this is when the Swites came into their power and became, like, an important military family. And Abigail, obviously, cannot have this. So she calls Libba out for lying about this whole battle and claiming the Swites have been making up this nonsense for 200 years. And Garrett makes the comment to Tally that 200 years of poison has been fed to them, indicating that, like, their families have been perpetuating this whole thing, and that's how it got to Abigail and Libba. So, interesting. I wonder if, like the army's competitiveness that's bred into them breeds these like rivalries within the army which seems counterproductive because as tally points out later it's like we needed both of those families to win this battle so it's very
0: interesting it makes sense in a human nature sort of way though because if you breed competitiveness and contentiousness you're going to get rivalry
1: totally it's just, like, we're all fighting on the same side, so it's right. just, like, it seems counterproductive. But-,
0: but we're fighting better than you.
1: Right. I'm fighting against our mutual enemy better than you, which is this whole conversation.
0: This entire conversation reminded me of two little kids in a sandbox who are throwing sand at each other.
1: <laughs> My mommy makes better cookies than your mommy. And
0: that's My very- mommy is cooler than your mommy. She's a lawyer, and your mommy's not.
1: Well, like, both of their moms are lawyers, so it's, like, kind of dumb. But... We get an important figure when Abigail commands the room with her big witch energy, and she starts talking about Jem Bellwether, and this Jem, in particular, comes up a lot with the bellwether. She's like their revered bellwether, and she claims that this Jem was the real bellwether here. She calls her the Lioness of Juarez, and says that Jem was basically off fighting the infantry on the ground, and she sacrificed herself doing this so that Libba's, the Swipes' team- could send a storm over the battlefield that ended up killing Jem and all the soldiers that they were fighting against. And so I just wanted to point out what Abigail says specifically about Jem. She says she sacrificed herself without a second thought because that's what a soldier does. That's what a bellwether does. And so this line in particular is very indicative of the family values of the bellwethers. And this whole sacrificing your thing without a second thought and that being like, the apex of their family values comes up later in the next episode and i will point it out but like i thought that was very interesting so that's why Jem is this like idolized figure in the bellwethers
0: i love how they weave it from one episode to another you find out the little tidbits about abigail and the bellwethers in particular totally and how that evolves over time I also actually liked the the Tally Garrett conversation during all this because they're the only one. Like, once again, Tally is invo- The only one involved in speaking any sense going on around here. Yes. my My biggest note for this scene was blah blah. Your family sucks and mine doesn't. Times two.
1: Yeah, and again, Tally points out the obvious. She's like, "Don't can't they see that it took both of them to win this battle?" And Garrett's like, "No, they can't see that because they've been poisoned not to."
0: No. 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 They're a different breed.
1: Yeah, it's it's the pride thing. Pride blinds them. And then, just to conclude the scene, at the end, Abigail gets in Libba's face, and Libba's lip starts quivering, like she wants to say something, or kiss Abigail. I don't know, but Abigail walks away before anything can happen. I, I think
0: that it's all of those things. It is. It's all of those things <laughs> of contained in one. Yep. And I just, I feel Libba's energy here. Oh, like, Yes. I want to be so, I'm so mad at you, but I want to, I want to make out with you.
1: Yeah. I would like to be on the receiving end of Libba's face in the scene. Thank you.
0: Yes. Um, thank you. you. Also, I really like that the contrast in their stories, uh, Libba saying that it was a disastrous charge that Jim Bellwether led and she didn't even mention Jim's name. If I'm correct, like she just gives her like a faceless, nameless, the infantry charge was disastrous. Right, not the Bellwether infantry,
1: just the infantry, correct.
0: So when when Abigail comes in, she says, you're always telling this wrong. Like, all the Swides are always telling it wrong, and then she has to, like, pull out all her gym history.
1: Other cool thing about this scene, when they're in front of the painting, there's a podium, and they do, like, this, they trace something on it. And then the painting comes to life, which is pretty cool. So that's another cool little magic thing that they can do, where the, you actually see the storm raging in the painting.
0: They call it a sigil. So a sigil. Thank any, you.
1: Yes, thank you. Yeah.
0: So you see them do it on the doors to lock them or unlock them. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what other applications it has.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: What can sigils do? Like, what all can they do? Elliot, answers, please. And what are the patterns? I need this alphabet. Yes. Very cool things, but we're, we're going back to the gays. So thank lesbian, Jesus, thank lesbian, Jesus. All right. We're so we're, they're walking to into this exhibit and there's a girl and guy leaving and the girl's crying. And this gives Rael high hopes for the exhibit, which me too, girl. So when they walk in, they see these spiked clubs, the nooses, silencing collars, which I don't think we've learned about those yet, but they're on the wall. I really like took the time to slow down and see everything I could see in the scene and some of the stuff you can't really get a good visual on, but it looks like things that were you like stocks that were used to hold people and things of that nature, but in pieces. And, you know, they stop in front of a particular exhibit Mm -hmm. and Scylla starts talking about how people have always feared and hated witches. How do you look that kind of evil in the face? And there's a painting there of a man who's holding a particular type of weapon. And we see later in the scene that it's called a Camarilla scythe. Mm -hmm. And the the card reads circa 1692 metal, five inches by two inches. It looks pretty gnarly, and it's got a ton of Christian symbols on it. Yes. And a coat of arms that I'm, I'm thinking might be for the Camarilla. Mm-hmm. Like a, a symbol for that organization if you will. Mm-hmm. So <sighs> for we? Um Call
1: back to Sarah Alder in the pilot who said ancient enemies. 1600s. Seems ancient. Yeah,
0: so we see this the first time that we... Do they say Camarilla at all before?
1: No, it's... it's spoiler! Major spoiler. <laughs>
0: it's later. But we get that's our first glimpse of Camarilla and the weapon that is attributed to them. Yep. So Scylla goes on to say, look at this place. There's so many sick ways to kill and maim us and grind us into dust rails. Like, yeah, but like the burning times are over. And Scylla's like, does that, does it ever really go away? And I love the dialogue here. And I had to like almost verbatim it because it's so important. It is so important to not only who these characters are, specifically Scylla, but also the whole underlying architecture of the storyline itself. Because these witches are living in a world almost in a bubble to themselves within Fort Salem. But overall, did the burning times ever actually end? I would say no, because there are witches out there that feel like they need to kill thousands of civilians to make a point. So, Scylla's got a point here.
1: Scylla has the brain cell always. She is correct.
0: Yes. So, yeah, you, you kind of start to see a little bit more of why Scylla does the things she does, and this is the first little piece that gets revealed because she starts talking about the burning times and how many ways there are to just kill witches
1: and i just want to note the way she delivers these lines is very revealing she says it like her, her voice is very low and it's kind of shaky almost like this is the thing that is the true horror in the world and something that legitimately scares Scylla. like this is what she is afraid of actually this so, is
0: the base of her fear
1: yeah this is an honest again an honest moment with Scylla where she's revealing this is what i am afraid of
0: Cause I really feel like the civilian world scares her or the power structures and the hate in the civilian world scares her a lot more than the army itself does. So it's, it's very revealing of Scylla why she's doing the things that she's doing. And I love it. I love it. I love it. The writing. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And the delivery. Good job, Amalia. Well, well played as
0: always, as always, your micro expressions make me happy.
1: Her voice in this one.
0: Her voice kills me in, in, yeah, it's so amazing. And she's having to to speak with an American accent at the same time, so. Yes.
1: Well, so does Jess Sutton, you know.
0: Yes. It's just a difficult, I would think it would be, make it even slightly more difficult. but totally. I have a, uh, geez. Rayle notices Creeper, McCreeperson in the background, and I have questions. Because in the very shot before this, he was not there. How did he sneak in that quick?
1: And the witch, the male witches just like evaporate. (laughs) Do they just
0: have like powers where they can orb into something? They're teleporting. Did he run in there super fast like the Flash?
1: We'll never
0: know. He's not in the very shot before that. Two seconds later there he is standing at the freaking fireplace like the Creeper. Just watching him. And why are you showing up everywhere, yo? She doesn't want you anymore. But anyway, Raelle notices him and she's like, your ex is here. <laughs> There's That's loaded. That is a loaded statement. <laughs> and Scylla goes into bisexual panic mode. So <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. There he is again. It's like a little gnat. And she says, I, I didn't realize you would met him. And Raelle says that Porter told her some weird stuff and she wants to know what the hell is up. And Scylla is trying to smooth it over as usual, and she's smiling, giving her the baby blues. Everybody else says, no, I'm not buying what you're selling, and we're going to have the talk, TM. And Scylla finally agrees and is like, okay, but not here. Creepers in the background, we got to go. So they walk past Porter, and Rael stares him down, but Scylla won't look at him at all. No. No eye contact, refuses to acknowledge him. Nope. She's she's just not not having it. No, nope.
1: she just marches straight past him. But like you see her face twitching at the end, because like, the wheels are turning, with how she's going to handle this conversation with Rael.
0: The wheels are turning, and she's also panicking, and he's also right there. So this is like Scylla's episode to panic.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Oh, shit, all of my strings are coming on un- unraveled here.
1: Scylla's yeah. not a great spy.
0: No, she's not. I love her, but she really passed that uh, job interview.
1: She had the sass, um, and she's a bad spy, so the spray's like, get on. Come on, girl. It's perfect.
0: Spree's yeah. like, you're perfect you're for perfect us. For Let's go. Us. Good. You can hold a balloon. She can.
1: So, Scylla's uh, panicking, wheels are turning, and she leads Rail into this gorgeous stairwell where they're standing in front of this beautiful stained glass mirror, and there's three panes, one with a different woman in them, and so my initial thought was, oh, this is the triple goddess in her three individual forms, because, as we mentioned in the last episode, Scylla is the Morrigan, the Morrigan is the triple goddess, and, like, I think Rail is one of those components, But that's not quite what's happening. So Detective Bree looked into this a little further and debunked my theory.
0: I'm sorry. I had to. It's okay. I got on a tangent because I really loved the stained glass window and the beautiful art within it. Because I was like, you know, most stained glass windows that you see are in churches. Mm -hmm. So the artwork didn't make sense to me for it being in a church. But I was like, geez, I'm just going to go research this. So I ended up on the freaking stained glass window archive of Canada that exists yeah. just FYI we that exists that. and I look through every damn stained glass window in Canada until I found this one and it's actually in a mansion called the Gabriella mansion that was built by a sugar baron who had a very profitable sugar company and FYI it's actually haunted and being turned into apartments as we speak so and who's in the stained glass window? Oh, yes. so uh, Mr., I harvest sugar. I am super rich Got all of these stained glass panes made of his wife and daughters. So it's the the sugar man's wife and daughters. Yeah, so
1: not the triple goddess.
0: So it's called mother and daughters, the the actual stained glass.
1: So yeah, not only not only is it beautiful, but it also like harkens to like the witches of like mother and daughter kind of thing. They always yeah, and I on. think
0: that's a totally valid reason to use it because you have these women. Yeah.
1: So, but I think Elliot was going for the triple goddess in my headcanon, But thank you, thank you for cracking the case of the mysterious three women in the window.
0: Yeah, if there's if there's a Google deep dive, I'm I'm in I'm in it.
1: Yeah, it was beautiful. So that that is a real location. They did not make those stained glasses for this episode that's a real thing in a haunted sugarcane <laughs> plantation. So with that out of the way we'll t- we'll talk about the scene. So basically this is a scene where Rael and Scylla are talking and Scylla's trying to be honest about her past a little bit. And so we learn in this conversation that Porter was also a dodger which explains how they knew each other. And while Scylla's kind of going over this with Rail, you see her hands resting on the balcony and she's fidgeting. Like she's, she's actually nervous giving this information to her. And the entire time when she delivers it, her voice is very soft and vulnerable. So she's trying to convey honesty, I think in this. So she's being very honest with Raelle. And she explains the Dodger, that they were part of this loose network of Dodgers that moved around a lot and stayed with different families when they moved. And so she spent, God knows how long of her life living and hiding. And to me, it sounds a lot like this alternate universe version of the underground railroad or like what happened with jewish stowaways in nazi germany that were hiding with brave families that took them in in this loose network so it says a lot to me about Scylla's upbringing and likely how that shaped her and porter also into the people they are now because as you mentioned like We keep seeing Porter off by himself lurking. And I think that's part of his Dodger upbringing where you're taught to not be attached to people, not like be in crowds potentially. And so he's always like kind of by himself, which is different from the other male witches. And also when we see Scylla a lot of the time, unless she's with Rael or with Dodgers, not Dodgers, with the Necros, like in class, Scylla's usually off by herself. So I wonder if that's just like a Dodger thing and part of that upbringing where they're taught to like not be attached or with groups. So I found that interesting about them.
0: I think it could be that and also he was trying to be sneaky spy boy too. Well yeah, no
1: totally. But even when he's I I feel like he's often like sequestered, often not with the we don't really see him interact with the other male witches. He's usually off by himself.
0: I and I I don't know if that's because of this episode, because the next episode we kind of find out a little more about Porter and how he had adjusted to being in the army. So I'm of two minds here. I really think that you're on to something, especially with, as far as is concerned. I just think that he's probably gone back to that. Like, that's his instinct. Mm -hmm. And is just still living it. is still living like a Dodger, in my mind.
1: Totally. But I feel like that kind of upbringing is hard to shake. Because that's that was most of their life. And you have to figure, how old is Porter, really? He's been in the Army, what, maybe one, two years? So...
0: He's probably the same age as Scylla, so he's probably around 19, yeah, 20? 19, 20.
1: 1920. Right.
0: Yeah, and uh, you're always looking over your shoulder. Imagine that.
1: Exactly. Always. And so with that, Raelle takes this information. Again, when her brings up the Dodger thing, Rael's always like, so what? They were Dodgers. Like, not a big deal. And she starts projecting her own shame, where she says, Well, it's not any more shameful than having a civilian father. And so what I think this conversation is also illuminating is the prejudice. That exists within the witch communities. So there are othering that happens within just the witch community where mixing witch bloodlines with non witches is considered shameful. So Rael is othered because of her dad. And then you have Scylla who's being othered because her parents dodged conscription. So I find that fascinating.
0: Me too. I mean, and you see it in minority groups, the prejudices within the groups. It's just a human thing.
1: Yeah, totally. And so again, Rayel and Scylla have a lot more in common than other people like we've interacted with because they've been othered, they've lost parents, things like that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: and Rael you see again, she's not judging Scylla for her past. But Scylla counters this by saying, Well, the difference between having a civilian father and my parents is that dodging's illegal. And there's a lot of bite behind the way she says that. And you can tell that this is this is the sore spot with her. Her parents trying to evade this forced conscription was illegal. And you come to find that the military finds her found her parents at some point and it all went south and they were killed in the process. And so, you know, this is why Scylla hates the army. And Rael doesn't really know how to respond to this. But Scylla essentially says, well, after they died, that's when she decided to enlist to, quote, beat them at their own game and maybe get some measure of justice for my parents i'm not sure i buy that whole statement i believe she's trying to beat them at their own game but i don't know if her enlisting in the army is how she's trying to get justice for her parents
0: no we know that it's not we know that that's something that she said for rail's benefit and yeah. i as much as still honest she's as honest as she can be in this scene without giving things away that she desperately doesn't want rail to know
1: yes
0: or anybody else obviously but specifically rail
1: yeah
0: it's really well done the way that you can see and you can see immediately when silla says after they died or when she indicates that her parents are dead now that rail completely all the all the warm soft fuzzies in in her little heart in her little lesbian jesus heart just come out and are like i'm so sorry like you could tell she's just feeling so sad for sylla
1: yeah because she she knows what that's like she does because so. in Rael's mind the army killed her mother so she gets this which you know so let's
0: yeah so it's it, the other thing that that we're talking about that connects them that don't that doesn't connect other people like her unit to rail so she really has the like you said the most in common with Silla, and that's going to bond them on a level that goes past any kind of anything anything really right.
1: they're bonded very very deeply on so many levels we, we proved that last with the scene yeah so i don't fully buy we don't fully buy this line from Silla, but rail does and she grabs Silla's hand and says i want to help you and they us into the conversation about, about what Porter said. Because again, this is the sore spot with Raelle because other people know things about Scylla that Scylla isn't telling her. And Scylla just dodges this. She's like, I've shared enough. And dodges the protest about Porter by just kissing her and throwing her off guard. And then says, listen, if I get the urge to run, I'll take you with me. And then they hug. And in this hug, you see both of their faces. And Raelle doesn't look super pleased by the way, this conversation ends because she's still dodging the Porter stuff which is the initial thing Raelle was like, we need to go talk about the Porter stuff Scylla's still dodging that. And Scylla's face I find interesting because she's very like tight-lipped, her eyes are focused away from Raelle, like she's eternally reminding herself to stick with this mission and not get wrapped up in all the personal stuff like her parents and like her target's personal life. So I find that really interesting and I think it's very indicative of Scylla's headspace in this moment because I think while she does have some feelings for Rail. I think she's still very much in Scylla's survival mode and is doing what she needs to do for, like, her mission, her belief system, and all that stuff in this moment.
0: Yeah, and she just made herself really vulnerable, and she just spilled totally. a bunch of stuff, so she's obviously going to close back up right after that. Yeah. And she's going to go off into, okay, how do I do damage control? Like, what do I need to do about this situation? Because, obviously, Porter's still out there, and he is suspicious of her. hmm so yeah. she's got a lot of things on her plate. Stella's always juggling about 35,000 things in this season I know. or all the time, all really. The times. But she's thinking about, okay, how do I placate rail and tell, and I want to tell her a little bit, but I can't tell her everything. But also I don't want to tell her a lot because that's not what I do. It's not who Scylla is.
1: Again, Scylla's still in spree mode where she's like, listen, I can't lose my target. So I have to tell her enough to keep her interested. But yeah, it comes at a cost to Scylla because you see that like, again, opening up is not something that's hard for her and she doesn't really do. And so at the end, she's like, I gotta shut this down. Like, it's about the mission. It's about the mission. That's like what's going on in her head.
0: Yeah, it's about the mission. And also in the background, she doesn't want to give up. Her, she doesn't want to get any more involved emotionally than she is because that's going to end in pain in her mind. Like, she doesn't have room for that in her life.
1: Well, also, like, she doesn't know how to do that because no. she was raised in an environment where it's like you get as attached as you can and that's it because you got to disappear at some point. People yeah. leave, you leave, don't get attached. And she knows that at, at when the spree mission's over, she and Rail will part. So it's like, I can't get attached to you.
0: Even though it's happening anyway.
1: We'll get into
0: that. Thank you, Amalia, for uh, the acting. As always. As always.
1: And good job, Taylor. Did a good
0: job. So Taylor, like, oh, she killed me in this episode. If we go back to one second to the, that look that she gives when Scylla says it's complicated when they're in front of the flag. I went back and watched that about 10 times because of Taylor's face. I love her micro expressions in that scene. Big props. And, uh, now we're going to go to, uh, what I like to call the new biddy. the new biddy on the block. Yes. <laughs> and Acastia has gone to inform the new biddy candidate, whose name is Devin, Yay. that, uh, she's been chosen and she looks absolutely thrilled, terrified, and super excited all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So... She wants to know when this is going to happen and Anastasia is like uh now like it's it's now and she's like oh really well crap uh and you can kind of see the hesitation there because she's about to give up her life for another person and yes she has known that this is going to happen since she was probably conscripted because you know they pick these people especially but you see her look around her room as they're leaving and it's just kind of like this bittersweet Uh, moment
1: i love that part
0: yeah it's it's very interesting and the actress i gotta give props to there too because she really conveyed that super well that the excitement but also the sadness that went along with that
1: yes and i love the symbolic her turning the light off Mm -hmm. in in the room uh, it's like extinguishing the light on her old life Mm -hmm. i love it it's beautiful well done Devin
0: well done from there we go back to Scylla speaking of why it's ending (laughs) go back to Scylla I need you guys to appreciate the fact that I watched this scene five times last night just for this because we all know what's coming up if you've seen the episode if you haven't I'm sorry
1: why are you listening to this (laughs) why are you
0: listening to this
1: (laughs) turn this off and go watch the episode
0: yeah, so Cilla's sitting in her room on her bed. She's got something in her hands, and I can't really tell what it is, but in my head canon, it's a picture of her parents.
1: Yeah, oh my god, that hurts, yeah.
0: Yeah, so she sets it aside because somebody's knocking her on her door and yelling, Porter, calm the hell down. It is not that important. She opens the door, and you can tell she's just not, she's not here for it. But,
1: I will say, I am here priscilla with a black t-shirt tucked into pants with a belt
0: we're all here for that theora look
1: back elliot
0: we're all here for that yes i'm here for that because that black t-shirt is the undershirt to their uniform i know it's so good when i was in rotc that was like the thing you got that the t-shirt underneath so you take off your jacket and anyway moving on Uh, yes I love like I'm with you. I'm with you. Just had to highlight that visual. Scylla in the uniform is my thing. And you always notice that Raelle has her jacket unbuttoned and Scylla, Scylla's is most of the time buttoned up.
1: Because Raelle doesn't know how to wear clothes. <laughs> we because noticed.
0: A, Raelle doesn't know how to wear clothes and B, she's a little more uh open. She's like super open to Scylla, but Scylla's not open to her.
1: Mm-hmm. Love that, yes.
0: The emotional armor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Emotional armor. Gotta keep that. Gotta keep them but it's not really buttons though. No, I think it's, it's, like- it's like it's like a velcro y thing. Rail. It's even
1: easier than buttons.
0: Yeah. Rail. <laughs> you just made it really easy for them to get down. Um
1: that's me, Jesus. Can't wear clothes.
0: I know, I'm just putting it off. I'm putting off talking about this. Soon, I know, we have to talk about this. I know. So Porter's there and uh my question I have another question. Where the hell is Rail? I don't. We know she's always with Scylla. It's nighttime. Yes.
1: Thank you for pointing out it's nighttime because I'll come back to that later.
0: Yeah. There's like timing stuff in this episode Uh that breaks me out. I don't
1: understand. Yes.
0: So my question is, where's Raelle? I think Lesbian Jesus would be in makeup sex mode, but she's not here. I don't know if she had a prior engagement or. Yeah. I
1: don't know where Lesbian Jesus
0: is. For the purposes of this scene, she couldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. Just just facilitate the scene. So doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense, Elliot. We know she's not with Isadora. That's all I know. She's not there. That's all we know. So (laughs) Porter's pissed because he's not convinced that Scylla's explanation is good enough. And I just want to be like, back off, bro. Like, why are you so angry about this? Okay. I know why you're angry about this because she just left you out of the blue and that's why you're angry. But you're a dodger. You know how dodger things work. And you know Scylla from everything you've said. So, Well,
1: that's why he's mad. Because he's like, how did you end up here? Because I know who you used to be, at least. And that kind of person doesn't end up here. That's why he's mad. He's like, I'm here because I was tired of all the nonsense. And I was well, like, I
0: don't get why he's so into defending or finding this out. Like, why is he so hepped up? Is is he an army lover now? I think, no, I think
1: through their dialogue, it indicates that Scylla used to do stuff. Like, again, I I don't think Scylla's the type to just sit there and stew with her feelings. She's an action person. So I think before the spree, Scylla was doing stuff to act against the system already. And so he witnessed this and was like, that person ends up in the spree, not the army. What the hell are you doing in the army?
0: Yeah, I, like, I get that. And I, I totally, totally see that.
1: He's also salty. She left him.
0: Yeah, so is it just a mixture of his saltiness? And I, I do get a sense that he is more okay with the army than right. she or even Rael is.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great point. He definitely is more on board with the army than
0: Rael. <laughs> totally. I think he doesn't have it as bad as they do because he doesn't have to go off to freaking war and fight. He just has to stay home and look after the kids and make...
1: Scourge,
0: baby. I was going for the... Gosh, I can't remember oh, what they're the called scourge? now. Scourge? scourge. Make yeah, Scourges.
1: Yeah. But also, like, I. this is not confirmed, and don't send me the fanfiction about Porter. I don't want it. But I think that... <laughs> I I'm wondering too if like he didn't lose his parents because again the thing that defines Scylla and Rael, the really big thing is them losing their parents that was the thing that changed both of their trajectories or mindsets well not Scylla but Rael's mindset was losing her mom so I don't know that he that happened to him so maybe for him he can compartmentalize the army stuff and the dodging stuff a little bit better than they both of them can
0: And she's never been convincing with her lies to him anyway.
1: No, because again, Scylla is very clear about her beliefs and it doesn't bullshit her belief system. So I have to imagine when she was a dodger, she'd have, amongst other people who are against the army because they're evading it. She had no reason to hide her true feelings about all of this. No, so not at all. Yeah. So he saw that.
0: And he was obviously super into her at the time when they were 16. Yeah. I get the sense that he was more interested in Scylla as a person than the ideologies that she was.
1: Yes, her, spouting right, exactly.
0: And I get it because look at her. Anyways, she's trying to placate him and play innocent, and saying just be. And also, I gotta again, Amalia girl, I per- I like don't believe you in this scene. And, no. and I know you're doing it on purpose. And I'm like giving you points for that because I totally, every other time she's acting, I like totally a thousand percent buy in to what she's doing as as a character. I buy her a thousand percent as Scylla. And you can tell that she's purposefully bad at lying right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she doesn't even continue the lie. She just, gaslights porter and puts it all, all the onus on him.
0: Yes, exactly. It's like how
1: dare you think this of me kind of thing. How
0: dare you? It's classic classic abusive type. Yeah. Relationship thing. Yep. Which is some people have a problem with I have a problem with it. Don't worry. I have a problem with it. Yeah, and it's a it's it's a problem that Silla exhibits as far as not just Porter is concerned, but she does, she does go into the, Hey, well, how could you think this about me? It hurts that you would think that. And he immediately softens and you can tell that he's still super into her. Well,
1: you can tell from here again, of the two of them, he was the one that was more attached because he he projected that onto rail. So he was, again, despite being a dodger, He got attached to her, whereas she was very much survival Dodger mode at all times. Where I and I guess I think this really highlights what their relationship was like, in the sense that Scylla was very much like, I can't get attached to you, and I'm not gonna get attached to you. And so I can't see their relationship have ever being super deep at all. I think that like they talked about Dodger stuff and did whatever, and that's kind of it. It was never deep. And she I don't think she was ever super vulnerable with him. And I don't know about Porter's side, but I get the sense that he was more attached to her than she was attached to him.
0: I think that's an obvious takeaway from it. The the way that she, she like turns on the waterworks and he immediately starts feeling guilty and, yeah. and he like, hey, he cares. He cares. And he's like, I'm going to hug you now. There's definitely some feelings left over there and- I think he was strongly attached to her and it's one of those situations where you're always, you always feel like you're chasing this person in a way. yeah. So you, you get even more attached to catching them and he never got a chance to catch Scylla and almost in a way this is probably in his mind, the back of his mind a second chance to make things right with her. Or to have her make things right. Yeah. it's to Give first, her an opportunity. Yeah, it's that. Because he's like, you left me. <laughs> so, yeah. You left me and you need to make up for it. That's basically what he what he's saying. Totally. And Scylla goes straight into seduction mode because I don't think she knows any other way to get people to do what she wants when she gets into a panicky situation.
1: I think she was just trying to lower his defenses with that. She was
0: trying to lower his defenses and my, uh, my defenses would have been gone a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But... I didn't want to watch it. No. Especially not five times. I'm shouting at the screen with the screen at this point why couldn't Rayelle have just been there like she should have been? Because she kisses Porter and you all I'm sorry, but it happened. Okay. But I will I will give I will say this. The chemistry in their kisses is like negative
1: 95,000. Yeah, not even that. Yeah, 100%. But I have to say, okay, this scene is very fucked up. I get why she's doing it, because I think she's mentally trying to lower his defenses, because she's like, I have to kill you at this point. So she gets a pass a little bit for trying to kill him. But (laughs) you will come to find that I don't mind women murdering. It doesn't bother me. But Porter has brought up multiple times the fact that he knows Raelle is dating Scylla. So he willingly goes along with this after being like, you're Scylla's girlfriend. You have a girlfriend. And still goes and still starts making out with her. So like, Porter, what are you
0: doing? Not just willingly. He's like thrilled at that. Yeah. Like, you I'm can see it, see it in his eyes. You just called her out multiple times for dating Raelle and confronted Raelle.
1: And you're willingly doing this. Like, what the
0: fuck? It just is obviously was never about Rael. It was right. about his feelings Ugh. and how uh, once again, even though we're we're it's gender swapped, he still feels like he is owed something from Scylla. Ugh,
1: it bothers me. I'm like, you know about Rael. whatever.
0: Yeah, it's a really it's a really big dick move. Like, we know why Scylla's doing it. Yeah, she doesn't exactly. have feelings for this guy. You it's obvious she doesn't have feelings for him. Yeah,
1: I mean what she's doing, she starts it, so it's fucked up. But like Again, he has mentioned Rail multiple times. And then it's like, okay, we're getting back together. And it's like, like a couple, uh, whatever.
0: And that pissed me I off. Mean, and we also have to go back to the point where Scylla's not involved with Rail in her own mind for right. any reason than the mission at this point. So Correct. even though she obviously has some feelings for Rail, she's not there yet. Nope. With the, she actually is my girlfriend and I'm falling in love with her.
1: Yeah. She's still in survival mode.
0: Everyone is fucked up in this situation. Yeah, everyone's fucked up in this scene. (laughs) And I'm more mad at Porter because... Me
1: too. I'm more mad at Porter.
0: I I know this sounds really messed up, but I almost feel like he really did kill himself by going to confront Scylla like that. Yeah, do you not know how powerful she is? You know her. (laughs) Come on. She just pushes him, no problem. They make out a little, and then she kisses his cheek a few times, and she tells him... Uh, she says, "I'm filled with unbearable sadness," and he immediately straightens up and goes into zombie mode because she just pushed him, which is like the witch's way of putting uh, behavioral direction in his head. So he walks. She kisses him on the cheek one last time as a, as like a goodbye.
1: Yes. So this is where I feel like she wasn't planning on killing Porter until it became obvious that like this was going to out her with the because like outing her at the army would be bad. But also, as we've seen, the spree is not above threatening their own agents. So she's afraid of getting outed. So this is Scylla the Dodger in survival mode. And so when this opportunity presents itself, you see her kiss him for the last time after she pushes him. And you can kind of see her like jaw clench a little bit, almost like it's painful for her to do this because like he is her childhood friend or whatever, and they have a history. And so like, and Amalia said even in the after the storm, like this was heartbreaking for Scylla to do this. So you kind of see that in the last kiss that this does affect her on a personal level. But to Scylla at this point in time, her own survival is what matters the most. Like she's nervous rails getting closer to the truth. So she had to like do this basically, but it still affects her personally so you see that for a little bit but I think because of her upbringing and the fact that the mission comes first she can compartmentalize that but in that last cheek kiss you do see like this pain expression flash across her face
0: absolutely and with Scylla she has regret for the pain that she causes yes. but not her actions no
1: Scylla believes wholeheartedly w- what she's doing is right and so because of that her actions are justified but they still can affect her emotionally.
0: Like you just right. Said. She's not immune. She's not a sociopath. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I don't like when people just try to put her in that box of, oh, well, she's a murderer. She's she's a murdering terrorist. Uh, almost. Ugh. Yeah, the terrorist bothers me. Too. She's so much more complicated than that.
1: Yeah. This is, again, like, this happens in real life. So it's like, how does somebody get to that extreme point? And you can see that for Scylla, there are multiple avenues that led her here. And one of them is just she believes what she's doing is right. And so in her mindset, this is for the greater good. I'm doing this for justice. Like, she can rationalize these
0: actions. And I'm correct. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I I do remember vaguely... Her mentioning, or Malia, mentioning that she kind of looked into certain, quote unquote, terrorist organizations as research. And, you know, pro- I would have looked into, like you were saying earlier, the Palestinian and Israeli conflict. And the the way jihadists are true believers in right. what they're doing. So. That ideology, it's not just in this world. This is taken from our own human experiences in our current world, so.
1: Yeah, this is Elliot crowning it in reality because precisely, good versus evil is in the eye of the beholder. The spree thinks what they're doing is good. And then as an outsider, from the army's perspective, what they're doing is bad and what the army is doing is good. But from the like Tarim's perspective, what the armies are doing is bad. So it's like, again, it's about the person's point of view. And that's how reality works.
0: That is how reality works. Which is why
1: I, I hate calling Scylla a terrorist, because in my mind, I don't think she's a terrorist. I think she's a revolutionist because she's trying to change a system. That's what she's really doing. It's just her group is doing it in extreme fashion that gets called terrorism by the counter group, which is the army and everybody else.
0: That's exactly it. It's like, if she was a a Bolshevik, she would be a revolutionist, not a terrorist. Right, exactly. That's why I love the show, because you have to go so deep to really understand these characters. And I'm sad when people don't do that, when they don't see the beauty and the complexity of these characters. Not just Scylla, but every single one of them. Yes. Even Garrett.
1: (laughs) Garrett's so complex. We'll get to that in the next scene. Let's (laughs) let's move on to Garrett's complexity. So we shoot on over to Tally and Garrett in the woods at night. Like Bree mentioned, it's nighttime. So Porter is pushed, and it's nighttime when we see him again. It's daytime. Explain that one to me. But anyway, Garrett is wooing Tally in the woods, and he does this by summoning an owl and to do bird flirting, I guess. And I love that he tells her, her, oh, the owl thinks your hair looks pretty, to which Tally correctly calls him out as bullshit. She's like, you're an idiot. Because,
0: yeah. (laughs) That was the most interesting thing about Garrett for me, was that his hobby is bird Bird languages. languages. I loved it. I was like, Garrett, okay. Okay. We can be cool now.
1: Is this what male witches do in their spare time? They talk to woodland creatures? No, that's
0: just Garrett. (laughs) Just Garrett. It's just Garrett?
1: I like that. Okay. I like that headcanon. It's just Garrett. Garrett's the bird whisperer.
0: (laughs) I think he's just like that. He's he's like a little Disney princess is what he is. He just goes through the forest and makes talking friends. to the animals. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. And he also, well, yes, he makes friends with the animals and also makes little knotted flower wreaths which he gives to Tally.
0: It was cute, I have
1: to admit. It was cute, but Callie's like, "Wow, you're laying it on thick." And mm-hmm. sees through the bullshit, but like she's like, "I'll take it because you know, I have a crush on you."
0: I really want this.
1: <laughs> and then they go into like a little makeout session. And so is this Tally's first kiss, do you think?
0: Yes. Absolutely. Good for you. When when Tally says that she's a complete virgin, I think she really means I've never kissed anyone. I've never touched a guy in that. W-
1: uh, she, yeah, I think that's true. Thirsty Tally knows how to make out. So good job, Tally. I'm glad you got
0: that. Thirsty Tally. Yeah.
1: Whoo, Girl! Get it. And... other little tidbit at the end of that scene so garrett basically says you know i'm not supposed to be spending all my time with just one person so again hinting at like the cultural stuff with the witches where like deep meaningful connections is not something that's common with them with like one person they're like spread spread it around yeah they're a spread the love kind of culture so i thought that was pretty significant there
0: well out of necessity in a way because they need more witches exactly gotta breed them witches Exactly. It's also kind of messed up.
1: We'll get into that later, but yes.
0: Yes, we will. So we leave Garrett and Tally to make out some more. And we go to Alder saying goodbye. One of the first things I noticed about this scene is that they're in a bedroom. Obviously, this is not the Biddy's communal living bedroom space. And on this, I don't know if it was a, like a, a dresser or a table or something. There are seven candles. yes. So these seven kind of middling fattish candles are sitting there and they've all got their flames going. So Alder's sitting on the bed and she's telling the Biddy that's passing on that her sacrifice will never be forgotten. But the Biddy says that it it was no sacrifice. It was her great privilege to serve. So you get an idea of how much the biddies revere Alder. And we find out more about that at another point. In the series, I just love this little glimpse into it because I don't think it's just because the biddies have prepared their entire army careers to be a biddy. There are other reasons behind it. And it's very emotional for Alder. You see her crying, and you'd never see Alder have these really deeply emotional moments. And then we have Anacostia leading Devon in, and Alder stands and looks down at the deathbed, and the other biddies start singing this very haunting seed song when Devon walks up and puts her hand on Alder's shoulder and pretty much instantaneously becomes the new biddy after after the old one's passed away, yes. so Alder becomes younger. And Devin ages to an old woman. They kind of look at each other and acknowledge what just passed.
1: Yes. But before they look at each other, I love the way they coordinated this. Because you see they're like, when they link, their bodies move in sync with each other. Like they lift their heads at the exact same time mm-hmm. and then they look at each other at the exact same time. So it's, it's like they're actually, it's showing you that they're It's linked. showing
0: you that they're linked now in this yes. deeper than than the physical manifestations that you see.
1: And just to harken back to the candles, when the Biddy dies, you see, while they're having this whole conversation, you see one of the candle flames flickering. And then when the Biddy actually dies and, like, gives out her last breath, you see the candle extinguish. And, like, the camera focuses from the Biddy to the candle. It's very cool and symbolic. It's beautiful.
0: It's very cool. I love it so much. It's so, like, literary in nature. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, symbolism. Love it. I love this show. So <sighs> it's so nice to see a show do these kinds of things with metaphors and symbolism. Yeah, it's so, beautiful.
1: So well played with the video. It really
0: is. Well played. Uh, Amanda Tapping with the, <sighs> the the cinematography and shots here. Yeah,
1: she's my hair director here.
0: Mine too. Mm-hmm. In her. the series. Yeah. It's a very sad scene. You, have, you see Alder crying. Yes. You see her mourning and saying goodbye to a daughter. You you get the feeling that this person was connected to her on the deepest of levels, and the loss is felt immensely, even though you know Alder has grieved many times in her life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, we're not done grieving. So the Biddy song that's playing... This like life and death song continues into the next scene where we transition to Rail marching over to the necro barracks. And as she's doing so, Porter's body falls from the sky and lands right in front of her. And Elliot, please stop traumatizing with poor child because that's <laughs> traumatic.
0: Rail and the mystery of the falling man.
1: Yeah, Rail and the Mystery of the Falling Man.
0: He literally fell for Scylla. Yeah,
1: he literally fell because of Scylla. And Granted, it's daytime. So was he sulking all night with this sadness? Like, Porter must be a very strong person to withstand the unbearable sadness for hours on end.
0: Yeah, was he sitting on the roof chilling by himself? Like, uh, what was he doing? Listening to a Spotify playlist? I don't know. Sad songs?
1: Right. Was he pacing the roof for hours? I don't get that. But Make
0: the timing make sense. Was is- there, is there a missing scene? That's my question. Is there a missing scene with Porter on the roof? Is there a missing scene-
1: for hours with some
0: interaction for i don't know that so explains weird. it i need to know
1: right it's bizarre but yeah okay so porter finally succumbed to the sadness it at a reasonable hour of the day because rail's not training
0: the unbearable sadness that wasn't so unbearable
1: right, it wasn't so unbearable <laughs> splats in front of rail and rail screams and panics like any normal person would do yelling for help and when nobody comes immediately to help her she kneels down and tries to save him with her fixer magic like doesn't hesitate she's just like I wanna try and save you. I'm a fixer. And unfortunately, she, with all of her lesbian Jesus powers, cannot save Porter. And so it shows her limitations with her work, basically. And that's what Taylor said in the After the Storm. But she still tries anyway. And as she's doing this, a group of witches coming around the corner finally see her and they run over to her. And the last shot we see is Rael essentially slumping to the ground like this takes a toll on her uh, when she grabs Porter and you see Scylla in the background, and Rail loses consciousness looking at Scylla. And you kind of see this, like, panicked look on Scylla's face, because she did not expect Rael to be here and try and save Porter. But she doesn't save Porter, and Porter passes away. So the question is, what was Isadora doing off screen? Because we haven't mentioned that yet. I think, at this particular time, Isadora was deep into one of her experiments, and then Porter died. And she felt the disturbance in the Necro Force, took off her scientist glasses and pursed her lips and was like, hmm, rally the Necros. And that's what Isadora was doing off screen because she's giddy for the death party that's about to
0: happen. So you think Isadora can sense the death of a witch?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. I definitely think she can. She's had Necro.
0: I think that that's, that would be a really cool thing for Necros to be able to do.
1: I mean, if we can all feel the humans that died during the spree attack. I think Isadora can feel somebody dying on the grounds of Fort Salem one hundred million percent. Mm-hmm. So that's what Isadora is doing off screen.
0: I like your theory. I'm gonna go. I'm I'm down with it. And I love the imagery of Isadora taking off her scientist glasses. I'm just going. There's a disturbance in the necro force. My necro senses are tingling. Yes, the the necro signal is in the sky. Exactly. And but that's episode three. That's episode three. How'd you feel uh, about I, that one? <laughs> listen. <laughs> Rael trying to heal Porter. I feel like she just hasn't come into her powers enough yet at this point to to save him. And obviously for the story's purposes, she can't save him. So... But also, like,
1: with her magic... Could, like, he was pretty far gone. Like, he was pretty much into death. Like, if she tried to save him, would she have died? Like
0: That's the question, because she does collapse, and I think she came pretty close to it there Yeah, with just the little bit that she tried, because she stops at one point to go yell for help again because it's not working. And when she comes back, I think she puts a little more into it and gets more into his head, which we will see the results of later. But uh, it's very oh god like taylor's face through that whole scene killed me yeah. this is like you said i swear to god elliot has a thing for torturing Rayel. yeah
1: oh listen you will hear me rant about this since season two particularly but yeah he loves torturing Raelle. It drives
0: me it's like every everything has to happen to rail she's she's just i swear to god in my head she's just walking along Doo, do, do, i'm gonna go see my girlfriend and then all of a sudden bam dead body not just a dead body I know. <laughs> her girlfriend's ex-boyfriend such a trauma she loves traumatizing her but yeah um, we need yeah. to give our award
1: oh we also need to recap the episode so
0: yes we do we do we do recap okay so we get to see the life of a biddy. yeah literally literally <laughs> the The life and death of a biddy, and i really loved all of the little tidbits of biddy that we got during this episode they didn't give us like for the episode titled to be a Biddy's life i understand why it is but at the same time i, I would have liked a little more Biddy lore a little more Biddy background
1: yeah i think they tried to do that with the tally garrett rail conversation in front of the paintings but like mm-hmm. i
0: agree so i really wonder if there were things cut out for time constraint and, yeah. and also for reasons of putting it in down the line i really enjoyed this episode except for the one scene That shall not be named.
1: I think the main takeaway from the biddies is that the biddies take on years and burdens for Sarah Alder, and that's what keeps her going 300 years later. And they even go to the point where they fight in battle alongside Alder. So it's viewed by some as this big heroic sacrifice, but by others, it's viewed as like this creepy, weird thing designed to keep Alder alive. So it's controversial. In this episode, we're also. Introduced to the Hague, so we see that there are witch leaders from around the globes that also have their own armies, and they do have some kind of, like, peace council where they can convene and talk about warfare on Earth. We're introduced to Porter, who is somebody who knows Scylla from her past, from her dodging years, so we get a little bit about the Dodgers being this loose network of people who lived in hiding, evading the army and conscription, and Scylla opens up a little bit about that to Raelle, um, to appease her, but still is being very walled off with Rael. And we get Abigail with her Big Witch energy just getting it on with dudes and doing that. Tally gets her first kiss with Garrett, ah! And uh, at the end, Scylla, out of self-preservation, does kill Porter, who's getting too close to outing her as a spree agent. And Rail tries to save him, but ultimately cannot. And it takes a toll on Rail, which we will get into in episode four.
0: And that's this episode. Yes, that's this episode. And now... I was going to say something oh, about... Oh, wait, I was going to say something about... Um, <laughs> Yes, we got to meet Porter and say goodbye to Porter in the same episode. Yeah, hi-bye. Hi-bye. I'm cool with it.
1: Yeah,
0: same. Okay, so the Big Witch Energy Award, what's your choice? Yes. So in this
1: episode, I'm giving it to Abigail Bellwether, <gasps> the Aphrodite of pre-Beltane, Because she snags not only one dude, but she gets two by commanding dude number one to go fetch dude number two. And in the process, twat blocks Libba, which, amazing. Then I have to give it to her for the whole Jem Bellwether retelling story, because during that scene, there's a bunch of stomping that happens when she's talking, and then she commands everybody to stop by just waving her hand and literally silences the whole room. So Abigail Bellwether has the Biggest big witch energy in this episode, in my humble opinion.
0: For the first time, we agree. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> in fact i don't really have anything to add because you said it all yeah like it's all, all her scenes were big witch energy every single it one it was of them. obvious that abigail got this award in this episode <sighs> there's there's no other choice no in <sighs> there isn't
1: if anyone else can point someone else out who won let us know but abigail every
0: single scene was big. Witch seriously energy. the way she oh my god the way that she just commanded clive to, to go get um what was his name A- augustine augustine i love that yeah the way that she just commanded him. yes
1: Ugh.
0: and then the witch the witch father stuff i guess you could also kind of add in there yeah the witch father uh flirting, flirting. oh you're just like your mom don't bring up petra <laughs> yeah big witch
1: but petra also has a bunch of big witch energy. oh so. she does
0: i just don't want to No, about we're not way. thinking about that but like
1: abigail the whole time big witch energy on display oh yes
0: Big Witch Energy uh, from Abigail. Yeah,
1: so. I loved her in this episode. Me too. This is my one of my, my favorite Abigail This is one of my episodes. favorite Abigail she episodes ever. Yeah, so that's episode three, guys. So let us know three. who you'd give Biggest Witch Energy Award to if there is another contender.
0: Yes. Yeah. Come, come tell us all of your thoughts, please.
1: Yes, share all your thoughts and feels. We want to know. And with that, we've been Big Gay Energy. If you like this episode, check out all of our other episodes on whatever you're using to listen right now. Please subscribe and like all the things. If you happen to be listening on Apple, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review, no matter how brief. This is what Apple uses in their algorithm to uh, help us gain a wider audience. So please, please, please help us out.
0: Yes, and please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you about everything and anything. And if we like it, we'll probably give you a shout-out on the air. You can find us at all the things. Twitter, at Big Gay Energy Pod. Tumblr, Big Gay Energy Pod. Instagram, Big Gay Energy Pod. Or you can email us at BigGayEnergyPod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay safe and hydrate for Lesbian Jesus.